WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 363. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters Studios. Today's show was recorded on the 19th of February, 2019. Today's episode, the CBS News investigation of airline mechanic concerns, an Embraer 175 encounters strong turbulence over the Sierra Nevadas, British Airways sends passengers to a brothel, more news, your feedback, and this week's plane tale, one of our bombs is missing. So get all settled in, tray tables and seatbacks in their upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on, flight 363 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where we talk about aviation news, cover your feedback, and then talk a bunch of nonsense uh, interspersed amongst all of that. And joining me today from his studio in the English countryside, he's a professional photographer, a former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline, Based in London, England. Yes, it's Captain Nick. <laughs> hey, Jeff. I nearly started about three times during that intro. Yes, yes. Great to be back on the show. Thank you very much indeed. I'm looking forward to a good one. It's not at all late. Blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. Let's go on with our next contestant. He is in his studio near the Concord Covered Bridge in Smyrna, Georgia. Barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pontoon boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, Captain Dana. Well, hey guys, great to be back on another fantastic episode. Looking forward to talking about some fun things this evening, and uh, good to be here. Great to see you, and can't wait to catch up. Let's see. Let me uh, turn off your intro there. You'll notice that uh, Dr. Steph was not introduced on today's show. Apparently, she's still at that meetup at the Wasatch Brewing Company from last week. Nobody has seen her ever since. No. Yeah, they, they should try and look under the table. <laughs> she might be under the table. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, she uh, did make it home. Uh, I think she may have caught a little something. She's feeling a bit under the weather, but but that's not going to prevent her from being on today's show. What's preventing her from being here right now is the fact that she is busy at work trying to catch up. So she said she's going to try to make the second half of the show. So I hope and she's being a backstabber and she's dealing with a bunch of sickos. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, let's see. How about we start with you Me? Jeff, for change? Why okay. don't you start? change well i'd love you to thank you very going much last. yeah okay let me do that uh the first thing i want to do is tell you that i received a couple things via snail mail and you can find our p.o box the apg p.o box 
information on the website, airlinepilotguy.com. Now, um, the first thing I'm going to do is start with um, something I received from Lisbon, Portugal. Here we go. I, I hope it's a bottle of port. Well, I'm not. I, I, I have a question about that. Could be. Maybe not. Look over my left-hand shoulder behind me there. You see oh, that box? Uh, yeah. But I don't think it's a port, though. Maybe Nelson okay. can help us out. But anyway, Nelson sent me a, a beautiful kind of a coffee table book. Uh, it's the company for which he works. And it's kind of their history and a lot of good stuff in there. And then he also uh, put on here on the, on the beginning, what do you call that? An inscription? To Captain Jeff Nielsen, in appreciation for inspiring me to pursue my dreams. Nelson. Oh, and, how uh, nice. That nice. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Lots of, lots of great pictures. He knows that it's got to be a picture, picture book. It couldn't, it couldn't have been you. It had to be, it has to be Dr. Steph. I mean, she is the good looking one in the group. Huh? <laughs> Inspire her. Inspiring. She is inspiring. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, this is the uh, item that uh, it's called CARM, C-A-R-M, and it says that uh, this is a deep red wine from selected Riga Nacional, uh, Tinta Roris, Tinta Francisco, and Torriga Franca grapes from our best vineyards in the Douro Superior. So I'm not sure... Um, I guess I'm going to have to open it up and find out if this is a fortified wine, like a nice port, or if it's uh, like a nice red wine. Looks like red wine to me. It does look like, like that to me. It doesn't have the the typical look of a of a bottle of port. No, no. Port bottles, uh, some have corks, but most of them have got a kind of a stopper. Yeah. So, lovely. I'll let you know, Nelson, uh, when I open it up and uh, drink it, how uh, uh, how I enjoy it. I'm sure it'll be wonderful. Okay. Well, in, and in all honesty, if you read that, if if I was to say that name, it actually has a completely different meaning. Because if I say calm, like that's how it says. The C A R calm M. It's so calm. Are you, are you like stay saying calm? it's calm? Like calm. Uh, okay. It's calming. So you be mellow and enjoy it. Excellent. Okay. And the other package I received was from a German in Japan. His name is Timo. He's with us right now. In the chat room. And, oh, is Nel? I didn't look to see if Nelson was with us in the chat room, is he? Kind of late over there, but uh, so. probably not. Yeah, okay. Tell me about it. No, I didn't see Nelson. <laughs> Sorry. So he sent uh, a package with a couple of goodies. First one is, um, and you'll Japanese probably. Japanese Kit Kats. Yeah. Wow. So, but look at the picture here. I didn't notice this. Um, it's green. It's green. Stuff. Oh, they're, they're probably wasabi flavored. Oh, I didn't think of that. I thought, I thought it was like <laughs> matcha, you know, like the or tea, green tea. Green tea. Could be. Okay. All right, so I'm going to try one. Let's see how they, how they taste. <laughs> I went off laugh if it is wasabi. <laughs> it's not spicy. Mmm. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> yeah, that is good. That's really good. Mmm. Thank you. It's like regurgitated, regurgitated mm. Kit Kat bars. It's like seaweed. No, it's not. It's, it's just, it's tea. Okay. The other thing. I'd say put one in my mailbox at work if you don't mind, but we don't have mailboxes anymore. Ah, shoot. Oh, well, damn. Um, 
Here's a, a tube of um, something that appears to be maybe cookies. Ooh, look at this. And I haven't had anything to eat all day. Nice. Oh, Thanks. sorry. <laughs> all right. It's a little green cookie. I have a feeling it's the uh, the same theme, the uh, the matcha, the that, green tea. The, those uh, those mm. have um, drugs in. <laughs> hey, hey, Jeff, I've got a great idea. What? Next, bring those next week. Now, they may not be here anymore, but I'll, I'll see. Darn it. I all right. tried. Um, and he gave me something to wash it all down with. Not that it would need to be washed down, but you know what I mean. Something to uh, quench my thirst. Yona Yona Ale. And uh, Yona Ale? I do. This one right here. So I'm going to give it a shot. It's a pale ale. I wonder if it's uh, green tea. Doesn't look green. <laughs> that would be kind of weird if it were if it were green colored. All right. There we go. Nice. Nice head. To go along with your packages. Hmm. Ooh, very tasty. Very tasty. Here's to you, Timo. Thanks for the nice uh, little uh, care package. I can't wait to drink the rest of that. I do appreciate it. Okay. And uh, I'll try to remember to mute myself when I start eating the rest of this. All right. Getting decidedly left out here. Yeah. Yeah. We're both left out. Sorry. Yeah. I'm both thirsty and hungry. And well, you're just going to have to talk to Timo about that. He's right there in the chat room, so uh, you can complain <laughs> to him. <laughs> the uh, complaint department is not open right now, though, because HR is not here with us. But, uh, you hey, know. Timo, my address is. <laughs> yeah, give everybody your address. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what else do I have? Um, I can talk about. Well, I was on a trip, I think. Wasn't I? No, I wasn't. I came back from, I recorded last week's show. Was I home last week? I think I was. I don't remember, but I've been off basically since the last show. Pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, I go out tomorrow, Wednesday through Friday. I'll be in uh, Indianapolis tomorrow and Pensacola on Thursday and then back home on Friday. Then we have a meetup in Atlanta. Uh, many of the APG community will be in attendance at Hops in the Hangar. That's February 23rd, Saturday night. And just to let you know, if you are in the Atlanta area and you would like to attend Hops in the Hangar, I think we might have a couple tickets available here and there. Dana, are you going to use Steph's remaining economy tickets or one of mine? Yeah, I, I mean, Julie and I would love to attend, so yes, okay. I would like to. Okay, so that means that Steph should have maybe, she said she had two left or three, something like she, that. She had purchased four, so okay, one so for I, her, and then she's going to bring Justice with her, and then had bought two extra. Yeah, I think she had two extra, and I have one extra, because I'm going to use one of um, Stephen Ivey's, so... Steven will be there, and uh, Dana and Julie will be there. I'll be there. Uh, let's see, Tom Dugan and uh, several others, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, uh, will be in attendance on Saturday evening at the Delta Flight Museum for Ups in the Hangar. So look forward to seeing you all there if you 
can make it. Uh, let's see. And then you kind of mentioned something there, Dana, about uh, bring those with me next week. What are you talking about? Well, actually, there's uh, a very high likelihood that we're all going to be, t- well, not quite all. Darn it. We're missing, going to be missing one. But we're going to be meeting uh, Nick down in Miami on his overnight. So we're all going to be uh, flying down there. Unfortunately, Dr. Steph will be in Tokyo running her behind off. And uh, But uh, Nick is coming over from England on uh on a two, I think it's two day, Nick. Is that correct? Two day overnight. You're mm. muted. Muted. You're muted. But so, anyways, mute. No, I was just not talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm a two, I'm a two nighter. So uh, yeah, I get the, the night I get in, I get a clear day the next day, and that night, and I fly home the following day. But that's going to be great. So Liz is coming to join us as well. Yeah, and uh, Jeff and I will be down. I finish a trip on Wednesday. And we'll be pretty much hopping straight on an airplane to come on down to Miami. If I can fit that much clothes in my bag, because I'm working seven straight days, but that's okay. Ooh. Yeah, wow. That's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Hopefully the hotel has a washer dryer. Or, you know, anybody that I'm splitting the room with will just have to put up with the odor because mm. I turn my underwear inside up. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have. I have. You, actually, you two are going to be sharing a room, aren't you? Um, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a possibility. That's going to add a little bit more ambience than you might like. (laughs) I was going to, I was going to say yes, but now that I've just learned about the laundry situation, I'm not really entirely sure. Not so sure. Well, in, in all actuality, I'm, I'm coming home. I'll be home Saturday evening. I've, I've got a three day and I get back Saturday early afternoon and then I go out Sunday morning. So I'll be able to exchange clothes and, and it won't be nearly that bad. It's only a couple extra days, so I'll be ready to go. Liz, maybe I'll be uh, sharing a room with you, and then Dana can have mine. <laughs> How about Liz? I'll share the room with you, and <laughs> let's just all share Liz's share room. Liz's room. <laughs> Liz just says she's not sharing with anybody. I know. I see that. <laughs> oh, well. Okay. Darn it! It's worth a try, right? So selfish. I thought she was from Canada. I thought she was into sharing. Yeah. Mm. Things. Okay. Like rooms. Uh, let's see. Cold here in Pittsburgh. How's California? I should not read the items in the show notes because that would be boring audio. Okay. Uh, let's see. What else did I want to talk about? So, yeah, if you're in the Miami area, we haven't really nailed down anything officially yet, but I'm sure we'll probably be somewhere for a meetup if people are down in that area. If they want to come by, again, we're, we haven't really set anything up. We are going to attempt to record next week's show while we are in Miami. So I'll bring all the gear down. Oh, that, that Yona beer is talking. <laughs> Isn't it going to be the week off? Oh, no, it is going to be next week. Yeah, yeah next week. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, it is so next week. So that's what we're going to plan. I'm going to bring the, uh, the big uh, uh, mixer so we can all plug into the uh, our microphones into it. And uh, we're not sure where we're going to do that, if it'll be somebody's hotel room or a public venue a lot of question marks we're not really sure exactly what we're going to do but uh stay tuned hey a great way to keep track of what we're doing is uh to become part of our slack team and hillel will tell us about that at the end of the show and uh, also follow us on twitter and facebook i'm sure we'll be posting information regarding where we may be recording and or having a meetup 
So, yep. Um, let's see. Oh, um, speaking of meetups, um, we're going to hear from Dr. Steph and her meetup in uh, Salt Lake City when she gets here. So we're going to skip that. But uh, looks like, I don't know, Jeff and Jen, uh, did anybody ask permission for them to have a meetup without us? Oh, no, they have to pay royalties if they do that. Well, apparently they didn't realize uh, what the rules were. So we'll oh, be contact. really? Yeah. Well, anyway, apparently well, they those, got together. Got those a royalties can be quite uh, expensive. <laughs> it's a lot of IPA. Yes. Um, you probably, probably. Unless, you're, unless you have Evernote open, uh, Dana and, I do. and Nick. Um, you, okay, then you'll see the picture there in the left-hand column in the intro folder. A very nice uh, picture of the good-looking Captain Jeff along with the good-looking Jen Niffer. Okay. I think uh, the good-looking Captain Jeff is standing on a box. Hmm. Or he must have his high heels on. What do you reckon? Wow, that's just really... Jeff, sorry. That's neck for you. <laughs> it's like a snake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've yeah. seen him in real life. But, you know, Jen is not a, a tall woman either, right? No. I don't know. No, she's probably about. You know what? Five, now, four, I, I'm looking three. at the picture. I think that Jen, I don't see Jen's right arm. I think she's actually picking him up yeah, to make him look about, taller. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I think that might be everything that I was going to talk about, unless I think of something later. But what I can do is I can throw this over to Captain Nick because I believe that you had a meetup um, recently. Yeah, I certainly did. I, I, we did the last show. I was in New York. Uh, it was the day I landed and um, I'd arranged to meet uh, Yossi. Uh, he works at my favorite photographic store in New York, B&H Photo. The next day he brought a friend along. Uh, and we're going to hear about that in a second. But uh, the sad thing was uh, only a few minutes after making uh, this little recording, I went into B&H Photo and uh, I visited the restroom. When I came out, I'd left my phone in there. And although I realized almost immediately the time I got back, uh, some ne'er-do-well had stolen it. And I chased after the little dot on my iPad saying, your phone's here as it disappeared down 33rd Street. But eventually, I think the, uh, the perpetrator, the perp, uh, realized that he was about to find Captain Nick bearing down on him and he turned it off. So I, I never actually got it back again, which was very sad. But now at least I've managed to make my insurance claim, go to visit Apple and uh, got myself a new phone. Got an upgrade and, there. Uh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm very pleased with that. And uh, we've uh, managed to turn the one that was stolen into uh, a rather useless paperweight. So uh, I don't get why people steal you know a modern phone anymore because they're so easily basically rendered useless absolutely so i got the imie number and uh my my provider has turned it into a brick the within minutes we'd uh you know shut down the uh sim card and uh because it was already in lost mode uh they can't get into it to access anything so you know you think to yourself why bother Phone can never be used again. Anyway, by the by. I hate so, thieves. Hate them. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, I had a nice flight home. 
uh, because uh, I was a bit tired. I had spent all afternoon at the police station uh, putting out a report so that we could, I could give it to my insurers. So a bit weary going home, but I did um, manage to make a little recording on the aircraft for the Patreons. So I hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, and uh, then since then, I'm just uh, sorting out uh, my life here at home. Uh, and uh, my darling wife is off to uh, parts foreign uh, in a couple of days. So I'm going to be home alone. Uh-oh. Yeah. Could be trouble. Good, isn't it? Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Could be a lot of drinking and mooching around eating pizza. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> anyway, Yossi and I uh, have, uh, it's about a third time we've met. First time I've uh, recorded his uh, dulcet tones, uh, and uh, he has a favorite coffee shop uh, called, uh, Gr- uh, now is it Gregory's or, well, about to find out, I expect. Let's find out. Where we meet. All right, here we go. Hi, Jeff. Uh, hi, everyone. It's uh, Captain Nick here, and uh, I'm sitting in New York and uh, at one of my favorite cafes now, uh, Gregory's, and the coffee here is fabulous. And the reason I know this place so well is because of Yossi. Now, y- Yossi is a lovely bloke. Uh, he works for B&H Photo. I met him uh, ooh, probably a year ago at least. Yeah, two years ago, he says. So, uh, and the thing I like about him particularly is because uh, after our first meeting, I uh, got a little message saying that there was a, a gift for me waiting in B&H photo. And uh, I thought, oh, brilliant. Uh, thanks very much, Lushy. So I, I thought, what's it going to be? Is it going to be a, a, a Canon uh, 1D? Is it, you know, with a, with a big 400mm lens or something? Or... Is it going to be a, a new computer? Ah, oh, brilliant. And when I got there, it was even better than that. It was a B&H baseball cap, which I still have in my flight bag. And he knows that because I wore it last time we met. And whenever I get, the, you know, the sun's a bit low on the horizon, I'm squinting a bit. I bang on my B&H photo cap and it solves the problem. Anyway, Yossi's here. I just want uh, him to introduce himself, say hello to all the listeners. Hi, Yossi. Thank you, Nick. Um, hi, APG community. This is actually my first time being on the show. Um, yeah, I love when Nick comes to town because we generally go out uh, for coffee. Absolutely. Now, you've been a listener for a while. What's your interest in aviation? So, I've been obsessed with aviation since I was, as far as I can remember, my mum being from LA, we used to go there frequently to visit grandparents. And I just remember, you know, the lead up to the trip, I was just, I'd go, I'd get the magazines from my dad, look at them. And when I was older, I used to go down to the airport um, when I was off from school and go to all the airline counters and get the old, uh, the old timetables. And I'd study them obsessively. So, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. I used to do a similar thing. I used to collect the old bag tags with all the airport codes on. I used to think that was the most fantastic thing to have. Yeah. Actually, brilliant. Now, Yossi has brought along a friend who's also an aviation enthusiast, but as yet has to listen to the show. So perhaps this will give him uh, the impetus he needs to uh, tune in to the APG. Now, hi, Morris. Hi there. Now, what's your interest in aviation and uh, how much do you enjoy it? Um, I actually, I haven't flown until I was uh, 20 or so, and uh, the first time I flew, I was absolutely hooked. Brilliant. Do you get to fly much? Um, Yes, I I, I fly a fair amount. Um, Long haul, short haul. Um, I go out of my way and book a weird connection flight just to 
go to New Airport I haven't visited yet. Wife says I'm crazy. She's probably right. You're an airport collector. Yes, unfortunately. That sounds like a brilliant thing to do, to try and get to all those airports around the world that you want to go visit. Which is your favorite so far? Well, definitely not uh, LaGuardia. Um, although, <laughs> although since they redid it, it's a bit more tolerable. Um, I was in Marrakesh for the first time uh, last week, and that's an absolutely brilliant airport. Okay, so uh, wishing you guys well. Thank you very much indeed for coming to see me. And uh, back to you in the studio, Jeff. Well, thank you, Nick. Awesome. Great meetup audio. Thank you for that. My pleasure. It was lovely to see those guys. Sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah. Gregory's. Always I'll have to do that sometime, I guess. Yeah, it's not far from the hotel, which is very handy. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that we're all caught up now with myself and Captain Nick. Dana, how have you been, sir? My life's boring. No, I actually just finished a three-day trip. It was uh, relatively uneventful until I looked over and I saw uh, an A340 in the uh, Acme Red version of the A340 on final on uh, 27L in Atlanta. And just beyond it, and this is why I thought of Nick, just beyond it was a nice big old 7-4-400. So I, it's a very rare sight, actually, to see something like that in Atlanta. All three of us lined up in being that there was a 7-4-400 and a 340 all lined up at the same time. That was quite an interesting uh, view. Then also there was a uh, 74400 from Acme Red in Atlanta as well. So it was kind of a nice, neat uh, viewing week in, in the airline industry in Atlanta. Um, I just finished a three-day. It was, uh, well, nothing really stuck out on other than this last leg. And why is it always the last leg of a any trip always gets screwed up uh we uh flew up to grand rapids and then Atlanta had thunderstorms roll through this is february folks thunderstorms in february is not a common thing no so but we uh <clears throat> coming back in had reports of uh uh light to moderate chop almost at every altitude and we were in cloud most of the way coming back just from southern uh well, southern Indiana, more or less, just to the east of the Indianapolis area. And as soon as we got into cloud, it was uh, no altitude was, was smooth. So I opted to go ahead and have my flight attendants take a seat because it was it was pretty bad. And, uh, of course, I'm sure my, my, uh, my uh, passengers were well advised that they were not to get up as well because it was not going to be a, a safe situation for people to be walking around. And I was very, very happy I've, I did all that because very unusual that you hear, you, you know, occasionally you'll hear one aircraft report severe turbulence and then you, okay, well, that's kind of weird. That doesn't happen too often. But when you hear that four different aircraft have reported severe turbulence within, you know, within a short amount of time, that kind of raises your radar up. And uh, we certainly uh, didn't experience that. Thank God we only had uh, some moderate uh, turbulence coming down. And uh, coming into Atlanta, had thunderstorm right off the wing. Had you know four lightning uh, bolts that we saw specifically. And then you know, when I got back down in Atlanta, you know, we didn't we didn't get hit. We had no problem getting in. Uh, a flight attendant approached me that while 
I was waiting for the bus and said, hey, is it okay for an airplane to get hit by lightning? I said, yeah, it's, you know, it happens. Does it happen often? Yeah, it happens fairly often. Oh, because I was sitting in the jump seat and I was looking out the window and I saw an airplane get hit. I said, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's not was a big it our airplane. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was an MD-90. But it wasn't, no, but it wasn't no, your airplane. My, it was not my airplane. Okay. I know, I know I did not get hit. So <laughs> I would have known if it would have been hit. my next. So yeah. the airplane that you saw got hit was it the one that we were on. Yes. Well, that's what I was kind of getting at. <laughs> that's why I asked him because I said, well, what type of airplane was it? It was, he said, definitely an MD-90. I said, okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> continue, oh, you're on an 88? Yeah, I was on an 88 today. Ah, so, okay. But uh, other than that, uh, I had a weird MEL um, with the audio panel, but that I'd never seen before. Um, but it really it didn't affect anything. But other than that, it was, it was pretty, you know, just like we like it, a non-issue uh, week of flying. Um Couple, I had a short overnight in Baltimore, and I know, I know, our favorite friend lives in Baltimore. I didn't reach out because I didn't really have that much time there, so I, I didn't want to uh, um, <clears throat> go ahead and, and I did have it out on the uh, on the calendar. But, anyways, so be it. It was uh, it was a good trip. Well, did you end up uh, eating at your favorite restaurant there in Baltimore? I indeed did. See, I know. See, I know where his priorities are. Let's see. Well, I could have had the meetup, but you know, uh-huh. <laughs> I know you did. I, I, I brought, I brought my FO with me, it, but we don't know really only had 12 hours. Oh, okay. So it was, and we got in at seven, you know, by the time we got to the hotel it was after seven, when you get the, the restaurant until seven thirty. had a very quick dinner, went back to the room and the night before, um, I don't know what's going on with me, but I did not sleep very well. As a matter of fact, hmm. Uh, I got to see my best buddy, um, Dave, in Memphis. Didn't do a meetup there specifically because I had spent had a nineteen hour layover. So I got to see him and his mom. I haven't seen them in a long time, and he's flying corporate now. Uh, he's flying a, a later forty five. So I <clears throat> spent the evening with him, but for some unknown reason, I just didn't sleep well as usual. So I mean, <laughs> I was I was fine. I wasn't fatigued. I was completely competent. There was no. Nothing that was, you, you know, I don't drink coffee. I don't drink tea. I don't drink any caffeine. So I made it through the day just fine. Uh, we did get rerouted. It was a full leg day. So then ended up having an opportunity to sit in the crew lounge and get a nice, comfortable recliner and watch the back of my eyelids for about 20 minutes. So that actually really worked out very well. Um, but yeah, so uh, I got to Baltimore and, and I, all I wanted to really do was uh, eat and go right to bed. But the food I had something I haven't had there before, and, and uh, Nino was, you know, the, the owner. He was out working the front desk, giving Jose the, the night off, and so he came and hung out with us, and I asked him, I said, you know, I've always got the same thing here because it's so great. Is there something else that's comparable? He said, yeah, I want to try the Piozla. Pizzla. I even haven't even been drinking. <laughs> Pizzola. Uh, Pizzola, which, Pizzola. Pizzola, which is basically a, um, a veal medallions with fresh homemade, uh, in-house made buffalo mozzarella in a red sauce, which had fresh oregano, um, basil, and rosemary as the flavoring in it. And oh my God, that was amazing. So 
Oh, good. I am going back, and that's another reason why I didn't feel too guilty. I will be back in Baltimore the end of March, and I will for sure set up that meetup. So I wish there was a way that the people in the APG community, our listeners, great listeners out there, could figure out where we're going to be and how they can contact us in case there is the possibility of meeting up with them. And by the way, you can go to our website. Look at the calendar. Oh, we do have a way, don't we? We do. We have our calendar on the APG website, inlinepilotguy.com. And look at the calendar. And we, all three of us, are posting. Well, and if Steph goes anyway, she posts as well. Uh, all three of us post our schedules, where we'll be, when we'll be. And I noticed you do, uh, Jeff, and that's where I got the hint from. I put my contact information on there. As a matter of fact, I've been contacted from Madison. Uh, Wisconsin about next week um, and the information is there. So more than welcome to, uh, I'm not going to go ahead and set a meetup every, every time. If somebody wants to get together, then, you know, put out in Slack, but uh, you know, take the initiative people. We'd love to see you. Hey, well, I just received a text from Steven Nicholson. And while we were recording the show here, howdy, Jeff, looks like you're going to come to Indy tomorrow. Will you have time to grab some dinner? I'm, Tied up at blank until, oh, this is a Louisiana Steve. Um, he's going to be tied up at this particular airline. He's in training there. You'll remember that he made a brief appearance appearance last time I was in Indianapolis on the show. And uh, wow, he says he's actually re- shooting a, a recruitment video. Oh, very cool. Anyway, uh, yeah, Steve, if you're listening, if not, I'll text you back. But yeah, let's get together for dinner tomorrow in Indy, and then I'll try to put something out there if you're in the area, if you want to join us. So there you go. It all happens. The magic happens by going to airlinepilotguy.com slash calendar. And that's the APG community calendar. That sounds, sounds great. What do you guys do for people getting in touch with you there? Uh, I, put well, my, I, I put my, my cell and my email on the calendar. And individually, I don't just publish it, but you have to actually make an effort to find it. Yeah. It's on the actual individual uh, trip at the bottom. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So gotcha. people can email me or text me. Yeah. And I'll I use call. my Google voice number, which is something that I, so I have a little bit more control. It's not my direct, uh, although it does go directly to me on my cell phone or wherever I tell it to go. So, well, nobody ever calls me, Jeff. So it's okay. Oh, Dana, do you want me to call you? <laughs> no, I don't want you to call me yeah, names. I'll call you right now. I know you. I know you're going to call me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, that's enough of that. I think, I think I'll get myself a burner. There you go. So you can throw it away when you get all that. Yeah, exactly. Right. So when someone calls me, I can just rip it apart and throw it in the bin. <laughs> that's actually an excellent idea. Or you can leave it in the bathroom at B and H Photo. Oh, I could. Yes, you're quite right. That's one way to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny place to have a bath. But there you go. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Nick, 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 which one did you get? Did you get the 10 X uh, Max? XS. No, not the Max. No, that's, that's too big for my small hands. Mm-hmm. I've got quite big hands. But, you do uh, not have small hands. No, I, I prefer a, hand, uh, a phone that I can hold and keep in my pocket rather than one that I have to put in a briefcase. To have and to hold. It's in my pocket. It's, it's from this fine, day but forward. Okay. It's a great phone, great <laughs> yeah. platform. Okay. Well, enough of that. Uh, I think now is time for us to thank those folks who give of their hard-earned money to the coffee fund. And 
Jeff Smith, if you don't mind coming in here and starting this thing off for us. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. Mm. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. You know what they say, Liz. Anyway, uh, Coffee Fund, as I mentioned. It's your, your way to take ownership in this show. Not complete ownership. I still own it. But, you know, give us some contributions to help offset some of the cost of doing the show. And uh, Coffee Fund Cadre is the way to do that. A couple different ways to do it. The Classic Fund, which you can do a one-time donation or recurring donation. And uh, the other way is via Patreon. You, you can become a patron of the show. And since the last episode, a new producer, Mark Roboff, Roboff that's probably not right, R-O-B-O-F-F, and two new executive producers, Sean Patrick and Alexander Ball. At first, I was really excited because I saw Alexander Bell, and I went, oh, like the, the telephone guy. No, it's Alexander Ball. I think he invented the ball. So anyway, uh, if you want to join the Coffee Fun Cadre and listen to those great uh, crew logs that Nick puts out there, an awesome one he just uh, published about HF Radio and other things. Anyway, join us at the Coffee Fund. You'll be glad you did. Stand by for news. Okay, a couple of you, several of you actually, uh, notified us about this and were wondering about what's going on here. It was a CBS News investigation. Airline mechanics pressured to overlook potential safety problems. And this was played on CBS Morning News, CBS Evening News, um, etc. And it got a lot of attention. Um, even the U.S. Congress was. Uh, paying close attention to this. But anyway, let me read Texas Charlie. He sent this, uh, well, again, as I said, many of you did. My question relates to the attached CBS News article regarding conflicts between airline management and maintenance crews. The article begins with saying that we are currently in an era of unprecedented safety in the air. The article also documents incidents where more than one U.S. airline had a whistleblower make accusations regarding management pressure to overlook issues. As a member of management in my industry, I understand the pressure that can be placed on someone in middle management by upper management in order to run a more profitable business. We all work for someone. It's just that some people forget that ultimately we all work for the customer. And I expect each of us have complained that sometimes managers have been away from the front lines for far too long. I would expect purposely overlooking issues or flat-out corruption from countries such as that of my birth, Venezuela, But without getting anyone in trouble, do you think there are problems with some carriers in first world countries pressuring maintenance management to direct mechanics to overlook items in order to keep them flying? 
I know that there are always outliers that make the rest of us look bad. News crews love to make a garbage fire look like the town is burning down, but once in a while they get it right and the town is on fire. Stay, hap- stay safe and happy cloud surfing, Texas Charlie. And then he followed that up <clears throat> with another email uh, to feedback. The story continues to gain traction. It's one that has been smoldering for decades, but it looks like the subject is getting its 15 minutes of fame before inevitably getting suppressed once more. And then he had another link to an article regarding lawmakers. Congress is uh, calling for the FAA to investigate. So, again, uh, Sean also contacted us and said, not sure if you want to get in, get into this on the show or not, but it's worth a read. And um, so we'll put a link to the article in the show notes. And many of you have probably already read about it or perhaps saw it on television. Uh, but uh, the uh, headline is airline mechanics feel pressure to overlook potential safety problems. And then quote accident waiting to happen. Now, some people have pointed out that there, uh, the, the two airlines that they are focusing on in this CBS News investigation are American Airlines and Southwest Airlines. And several people have made the point that, well, let me see if I can find a little audio clip here that uh, may be the best way to state it. It's from one of the CBS News correspondents. Both American oh. and Southwest are locked in tents. Let me try that again. The volume is down too low. Bring it back up to a level that you can hear. Both American and Southwest are locked in tense contract negotiations with mechanics. An FAA official tells us the agency does see some cases of undue pressure, but believes the vast majority of airline employees are trying to do the right thing. Both airlines say safety is the top priority. Jeff? Eye-opening report, Chris Van Cleef. Thank you. Thank you. You even mentioned my name, Jeff. Oh, I think he was talking to the other, the CBS News Jeff guy. Anyway, um, so that has to be taken um, seriously there. Um, now, I'm not saying that that completely negates the concerns that some mechanics actually may have here. But in, uh, again, if you read this report, you'll see that some uh, some mechanics are saying that well, they'll be in the airplane will be in the hangar and they'll be specifically working on, let's say, the landing gear system. And then they happen to notice some other thing that might be a problem with a different system. And supposedly these mid-level managers are saying, well, don't write that up because that's not what the airplane's in for here. So, again, I'm not sure if this is legit, um, if this is something that really is a, an urgent concern or not. Um, what do you guys think? Have you, have you read or seen any of the re- these reports? I yeah. have. Yeah, I've read it all. And uh, I think you make an interesting point there, Jeff. Uh, I know of uh, pilots unions, for example, that have uh, run campaigns called Safety First, where um, they insist on dotting every I and crossing every T um, you know, particularly in pre-flight preparation, and uh, um, deliberately delay flights by you know up to an hour because they insist on doing all the paperwork, taking no shortcuts, doing everything very methodically. Yep. Uh, and it's their form of a go slow. Um, so the industry, uh, particularly the unions, have a, a sort of a history of this. 
on the other hand, uh, the um, TV program highlighted, uh, I think, two dozen cases of whistleblowers coming forward, uh, citing individual cases of being pressured to uh, let un- aircraft they considered unserviceable onto the line. So I, I would say there's no smoke without fire, but I and I think the uh, FAA should do a, uh, a proper examination, particularly of the whistleblowers' uh, complaints. Uh, but um, I think we have to treat this at the moment as as you know as being uh, possibly a union tactic. I don't know. I can agree with both of you in in that it could be uh, it could be a serious threat. Um, certainly, maintenance is uh, required and and necessary. Uh, if there's something else wrong, it should be fixed. So uh, the fact that the uh, you know I've got a, uh, my buddy down. I think I've mentioned him before. Uh, he works maintenance at Acme, and uh, you know I, I know the time pressures that they're under to get the equipment out on the line, so it, it can be up and flying and running. And you know, my old college professor always had an adage: if an airplane is on the ground, it's not printing money. So, you know, that's that's the reality. The airplanes on the ground are not making money. So that's they're under a lot of pressure. And, you know, it it's a it's really a corporate culture. I don't know how much different it is at any other airline. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure out there on a on a time sensitive basis. So may it be a union tactic tactic? It very well could be. Could it be somebody that's trying to uh, bring uh, light to a, a serious situation going on at the company that could very possibly be. I mean, we, we, we all know and we joke about, you know, that the sweetheart online that gets all the uh, special attention is, is some way we're talking about, right? You know, the air traffic control, they get preferential and so forth. We've mentioned that in the past. Well, um, that's the perception. I don't know a, if it's, it's reality. <laughs> I don't know if it's reality. You know, I, yeah. I don't know, but I, I do know that, you know, they have gotten some preferential and some other things the past so uh you know it, it, the reality is is that is that they're trying to cut and i'm not saying this in a bad way but they're trying to you know just like any other company they're trying to manage their 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 uh their costs appropriately and, and maybe it could be true i just I, I can't i can't validate whether it's right or wrong but i agree with you nick that there needs to be faa oversight and then it needs to be some uh, pretty significant uh uh, investigations going on to see what what whether it's legitimate or not because listen it, you know when it comes to the, the risks involved it's the people that are actuaries that that calculate the risk in 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 doing certain things and and they may you know calculate the risk so, okay well we'd rather you know send this aircraft out with uh, something that's not uh, <clears throat> not exactly correct but you know well, listen let's get that airplane out making us money and the chance of something actually happening um, may not be all that great so. But that's playing Russian roulette with people's lives, and I don't, I don't like that idea, especially. Well, well, you're right, but it's impossible to make every single aircraft perfectly serviceable every time it flies. There, you're right when you say that actuaries get involved because there is always an element of risk in aviation. We keep it to an acceptably low level, and in, quite honestly, it is an incredibly low level considering other forms of transport. Uh, but it's never a hundred percent assured that everything is going to work perfectly on that airplane. And you're right. It's managing that risk to make sure it's acceptably low is the important bit. Yes. Yeah. And, and, it's, it, and honestly, I mean, think about it. 
I know they had that incident uh, that was, uh, you know, when the lady got pulled out of the airplane, uh, you know, but that's one in like a billion chance. And, uh, you know, for the most part, we're, we're the safest industry in, in, in the history of the industry. You know, it, we are really in among the most safe time, safest times uh, that we've ever experienced for the most Quick, part. Touch some wood. Well, yes. Yes. Well, hold on. I've got a piece of wood right there. <laughs> there it is. Okay. Yeah. I'm touching the wood. Family show. Um, no, it's a, it's a wooden <laughs> stick. Oh, oh not okay. My, I'm sorry. Not, yes. <clears throat> the wooden stick. All right. For those who, <laughs> those who are not actually watching the video and thinking I'm talking, not, not, no, so yeah, yeah, keep there's going. a popsicle keep stick that I have in my hand that's wooden. Uh, family and that's show, what I'm hitting. Gentlemen, that's family what I'm hitting. Show. Oh, okay. So. Very good. Yes, so, on wood, now, so. I, one thing I can certainly say, I mean, this couldn't have anything to do with um, journalists using air quotes, um, you know, like fixating on something that has to do with aviation and, you know, being very provocative and, you know, believing everything because they're experts in it. Um, hmm. no. Well, there's always been an element of that. You know, they're, they're going to make it into a story um, so that it sells their program, aren't right. they? So. Oh, what? Uh, yeah. No. So, Nick. So, uh, <laughs> come on. And we always know aviation disasters make great headlines. Yes, yeah. they do. Um, even, if they're, even if they're not a disaster yet, it may be. Right. A potential disaster. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, potential, right? So, now, Southwest Airlines, um, this is just uh, yesterday, I believe. Today is the 19th. Yesterday, the 18th. Uh, Southwest Airlines faces an, an, quote, operational emergency. It's been a rough President's Day weekend for Southwest Airlines. This from CBSNews.com. Hmm. Uh, since Friday, the carrier experienced more cancellations and delays than any other U.S. airline. About 100 flights were canceled for maintenance reasons as the airline struggles to keep up with an unusually high number of aircraft taken out of service for maintenance issues. In all, more than 40 planes per day have been out of service. That's more than double the usual average at about 5% of Southwest's roughly 750-plane fleet. Southwest faces what its own managers call an operational state of emergency due to an unusually high number of the airline's Boeing 737s being taken out of service for maintenance. Anyway, so again, <clears throat> I don't know if this is just the uh, mechanics, as, as uh, uh, Nick kind of alluded to, uh, being extremely attentive to seeing things that maybe normally they wouldn't notice. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe all of a sudden, all these airplanes are really falling apart or something. I don't know. Well, what we failed to mention, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, was the fact that they're in contract negotiations right. and have been for a long time. That's yeah, yeah. We mentioned that. Yeah, that yeah. was that was the point of all that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, um, that's enough of that. We'll see how that goes, and hopefully, they'll get their negotiations all wrapped up, and everything will be all nice and safe again. All right. Uh, item B. This uh, headline says a Delta flight has an emergency landing after severe turbulence injures five. But no, at least they do mention somewhere deep inside this article from dailymail.co.uk. They maybe, maybe they got that from some other source that this was indeed Compass Airlines operating on behalf of Delta Airlines. And it was flight. 5763 experienced severe turbulence Wednesday afternoon. It was forced, that was a 
last week, who was forced to make an emergency landing in Reno, Nevada, after five passengers were injured when frightening turbulence hit at 34,000 feet. The flight was headed to Seattle, Washington from Santa Ana, California. Three of the injured passengers were taken to the hospital. The National Weather Service had warned of dangerous flying conditions over the Sierra Nevada mountains over the, the, that time frame. And I think it also mentioned, I'm not sure if it was in this article or in the uh, Aviation Herald article, that uh, nobody had actually taken that flight path uh, for several hours. And I guess maybe heeding that warning from the uh, aviation weather folks that uh, the weather was not going to, the air was not going to be smooth. It was, now I don't know, uh, by the time I finally started looking into this, it was beyond the time where I could find any historical um, convective sigmas or turbulence plots or anything that might have to do with what the government agencies were putting out there as far as warnings and altitudes and everything else. I think one of the articles that I read said that they were above the altitude at which they said that the, excuse me, the um, bad turbulence was going to be. But regardless of that, I'm thinking, and it's hard for me not to think of it, and I'm kind of uh, conservative when it comes to this. If I think that I'm going in an area where there could be significant turbulence that could hurt people if they were not seated with their seatbelts fastened, including my flight attendants, I'm not sure I would have allowed them to have a service. It's not like it's a super long flight from you know, Santa Ana to Seattle, Washington. And I know that, you know, when, when captains make the decision to keep their flight attendants seated, uh, they get a lot of dirty looks from passengers wondering where their Coca-Cola product is. Um, and that's why I personally make sure that the passengers understand that the flight attendants are seated not because they are lazy and they don't want to serve the passengers. It's because I have directed them to stay seated because there could be the possibility of some turbulent conditions which could endanger their lives and the lives of all the passengers. So what do you all think about this? Well, that's exactly what I did today. Right. And, and when you were exactly. talking about that earlier in the intro segment, I'm thinking, hmm, sounds like this is uh, kind of paralleling what's going on in this case. But it looks like now, again, we weren't there. We don't know what the communication was. Perhaps the pilots did. Maybe the captain did say, don't get up and serve anything because it's, there's a possibility that you know, we could be in some bad stuff. I don't know. Maybe that happened. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Jeff. I mean, we're not, we're not flies on the wall. We are in the cockpit for that matter and uh, did not, do not and have no idea what exactly was transpiring. But it looks like with the cart being out, you know, maybe, maybe uh, it was okay and it wasn't really, you know, how we can get sometimes get uh, complacent. Maybe mm -hmm. that, that, you know, went down that road. I, I don't know. A winter storm warning was in effect for the Lake Tahoe area, um, and the National Weather Service had warned pilots of, quote, downright dangerous flying conditions with moderate to extreme turbulence. So, um, do, do they actually say that? Downright dangerous. Downright dangerous. That was a quote. Now, I don't know if that's what they actually <laughs> said or not, but it actually says that in the article. Um, and it said it was a particularly dangerous situation for aviation in the lee of the Sierra Nevada over the next few days, the Weather Service said. Um, so 
you know, you have a, a combination of some pretty strong frontal weather and you have the, uh, the, the mountain range there. And those are not, you know, small mountains. Those are, it's a significant mountain range in California. So, um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now we, uh, we tend to treat the atmosphere with a, a certain degree of, uh, nonchalance nowadays because we've got a lot of aircraft flying around. We get reports, we get weather reports. They can predict the turbulence levels pretty accurately. But I think a lot of people, uh, uh, forget that the it's still an incredibly violent natural effect when you get yourself either into uh, you know a thunderstorm or a high convective cloud or clearer turbulence or mountain wave or one of the many causes of turbulence and uh, once it gets to the point of being uh, severe uh, yeah uh, there is a chance of injury um, and you're quite right Jeff uh, anticipation looking ahead. Uh, and erring on the safe side is always the uh, the best way to go. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, on a short flight, I can't see the point of even having any service, quite honestly. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're fighting to get customers, so they, they kind of expect it. Yeah. So uh, it would be, have been a shame if this guy sort of, uh, well, perhaps, fingers crossed, will be all right. And obviously they weren't. Yeah. So I hope, hope that doesn't turn out to be the case. I hope so, too. One has to wonder wonder what because uh, at uh, certain airlines we have, you know, more meteorological information that, than others. I think in in there are products out there that would help to predict that. Yeah, we have uh, a thing called TPs, turbulence plots that you know will warn about certain circumstances if there's uh, you know significant turbulence or a mountain wave or or you know possibly clear and turbulence. I mean, so we. We do have a really good heads up. I don't know, Nick, do you have something similar to that where uh, your company is issuing some additional information that more than it's available with the National Weather Service? Or- it, it's an interesting thing because I work uh, in so many other uh, countries uh, and we get us uh, you know, a generalized forecast, six hours uh, duration. Uh, we get uh, our Jeppesen uh, turbulence updates, which we can use. We don't get any live updates when we're flying those, so they're often a little bit out of date. We do tend to rely on air traffic passing on uh, messages and other aircraft. And, of course, we can pick up SIGMETs uh, in the aircraft, uh, significant meteorological reports, uh, and usually uh, turbulence comes through uh, as an indication of an area of turbulence. And they don't usually put out a segment unless it's severe, uh, so or, or you know, you know, least moderate. Um, so we usually plot those and prepare ourselves. But the, the states is so intensely covered by aviation. I'm just a little surprised that there wasn't someone else, uh, at least close to his track, that warned him of this. So. Well, again, I think one of their articles that I read. I mean, nobody had been in that area for like three hours. So oh, okay. he was kind of yeah. like weather ship, nobody to really warn of nope. a bad nope. situation ahead. That would be even more reason for me to, I, I would just think, you know, the hair on the back of my neck would be standing going, Hmm, I'm not sure that this is going to be a good thing. I'm going to make sure that my flight attendants stay seated and yeah. I'll apologize to the passengers for not getting their Coca-Cola product of choice. Now, it's interesting, being a regional, uh, and we know that uh, a lot of pilots cut their teeth on regionals, so the level of experience on the flight deck would not be nearly as high as on your aircraft, Jeff, or mine, or Dana's, 
um, because uh, you know we're in long-established airlines where uh, we're all a bit long in the tooth, and we've been done that a few times. Now th- that doesn't necessarily apply to a regional, yeah. Well, in most cases, that's true. Although there are, and and Dana can and vouch for this, that at the regionals there is a certain subset of pilots that are basically happy being at the regional level and plan on making their careers there. So there are some people that do have quite a bit of experience, not a lot, not the same percentage as at the majors, of course. Yeah. And and it's more cutthroat. In other words, they don't have the support operationally. I mean, you're required by uh, FAR, uh, Federal Aviation Regulations to have a, you know, a dispatcher uh, working with you, and so they're the co-captain, so to speak, uh, following your flight. But beyond that, at the regionals, you don't have a whole support staff that that will provide additional information. Um, and I, <clears throat> I, I remember specifically when I was on the Brasilia, I was deadheading back to to Atlanta, and the, the dispatcher gave the captain uh, about an hour old information. It wasn't uh, current, so. When Captain took off, he saw a black area on his radar, and he saw a red area. Well, he went into the black area. Well, it happened to be a level five thunderstorm. Went through hail, uh, significant damage in to the airplane, and as a matter of fact, the airplane was never used again after that flight. We we're lucky to live through it. So, um, I, I've firsthand have firsthand experience as to the the I wouldn't say lackluster, but you know the regionals are, are far more conscientious conscientious of uh, saving money and uh, because they're, they're essentially contractors, they contract to everybody. And so they're very conscientious of saving money and, you know, every airline is, however, you know, they're, they're not as safety focused uh, meteorologically speaking and don't have the sports staff that they made a major airline may have or d- does have for that. Their, their margins are much thinner, much than thinner. At the majors, I would say much thinner. So, Well, I'm glad that nobody, well, I guess there were a few that were significantly injured, but I hope they're doing okay. And uh, um, I'm, I'm wondering if the, if the passengers that were injured here were injured because of that cart flying around and landing on top of them, because that cannot be very pleasant. Um, no, I'm hoping f- that they had their seatbelts on. I'm, I'm sure they did. It's not very light, that's for sure. That's yeah. for sure. All right, moving on. Item C, Airbus to axe the A380. And what are they going to axe it, I wonder? No. Um, uh, let's see. Um, we got kind of alluded to that um, potential issue in the last show. In fact, I entitled the episode, The End of the Line. And uh, sure enough, it was confirmed shortly after we recorded last week. That Airbus announced that they are, in fact, um, stopping the production of the Airbus A380 after they get through their order book. Um, So it looks like 14 A380s remaining in the backlog yet to be delivered to Emirates. And if I'm looking at this correctly, it looks like about 39 aircraft still on the books that they are to produce. And then they're going to call it quits, which is kind of sad i mean it is an amazing airplane a lot of a lot of um you know technical uh accomplishments 
regarding the sheer size and weight of this airplane and its capacity to carry hundreds of passengers, etc. So um, it may have been before its time. It may have been past its time. I don't know. A lot of people I've I read in various articles said that uh, hopefully it won't be one of those situations like the uh, the Boeing 757 issue when the uh, Boeing thought that uh, the airlines and the airlines were indicated indicating that they didn't really need a product like that anymore. But then after Boeing shut down the line and destroyed all the jigs and everything else, the airline said, oh, uh, by the way, never mind. We really do like that 757. Can you make some more, please? And they said, nope, we can't do that anymore. It's gone. So I don't know if that is going to be one of those situations. Who knows, really? It's all kind of predicated on the economies of the world and the price of fuel and also what's going to be happening here in the future as far as technology, as far as propulsion technology and everything else. So I don't know. What do you all think? Sad, huh? I think the move to uh, composite uh, um Materials being used in airliners uh, would mean that they're unlikely to start rebuilding this again because, um, you know, uh, it wasn't really fuel efficient enough uh, with four engines. uh, And although the passengers uh, seem to love it, and I certainly uh, love flying on board, it's a great ride. Um, People say, oh, it's an ugly airplane. Well, who gives a stuff? If it's making you money, uh, that's kind of beside the point. and uh, it was designed to, uh, you know, alleviate the problems of uh, airports that had reached a capacity limit. And the only way to increase capacity was to uh, build bigger airplanes. But um, it seems that people are willing to fly from more and more remote airfields. And uh, the major airfields, uh, you know, don't seem to be having so much of a problem coping. Um, so yeah, I, I think, uh, I think they made a good idea, uh, bringing a competitor, competitor in for the seven four. It was just way too late. And of course it was badly delayed during production. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember when they started trying to join the fuselage together and realized that, um, that the people building two halves of the fuselage hadn't used the same standard of software and none of the wires would join up. <laughs> Oops. Well, <laughs> one was using the metric system and one was using the, uh, no, I'm just kidding. They weren't. Uh, no, they weren't. Making but, that uh, no, yeah, I do remember that. It's like, whoops. A bit of a car. It's not I mean, fitting. That, exactly. Right. Exactly. Nothing was joining. I mean, that was, that was another eight, it was an 18 month delay or something. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, Emirates still want some. They've got like 39 on the order book, but I don't think that's going to be profitable enough for Airbus. So I think they're. Probably right and cutting and running. Uh, they've got the 350 out. Uh, 351,000 is a fantastic airplane. And I think it'll be very successful. And they're going to just press on with those uh, aircraft that uh, are going to make them more money. Yeah. Oh, and, 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 and uh, you know, as press release, actually, as of 2021, Emirates, uh, the 330's biggest customer, reduced the outstanding order for 53 airplanes to only 14. That was a driving. Uh, factor they okay. have yep. cut their uh, the desire for the airplane as the well. end of the gravy train for airbus on that particular product so and i i think that i don't i'm not sure that they ever actually made money on that airplane i don't know if they ever got to the point where they even broke even on it do you know no i don't and yeah. and we won't find out because airbus kind of don't tell us things right. like that <laughs> neither no. do you, you don't need to know so don't no. ask anymore right. all right um, item D. 
scary moments on a plane about to leave New York were caught on camera after a <laughs> I'm reading this is this might be uh, the faulty clipping by my Evernote clipping um, tool. But after a re broke out in an overhead bin, I think it was supposed to be fire. Um, <laughs> the Delta eight from LaGuardia to Houston was delayed Wednesday afternoon after Ames shot out of the overhead storage bin and set smoke billowing throughout the cat. It must have been a bad clip. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to blame it on Evernote. Um, according to passenger Rex Sakamoto, uh, you could tell it was a very strong smell. It smelled like a campfire at first. And then once he realized uh, that something was on fire and somebody yelled fire, it was startling. Like, wow, I need to get off this plane right now. And uh, this was, does it say what kind of airplane was? I'm not sure, but it was a Delta flight going from New York to uh, LaGuardia to Houston. Um, probably an Airbus 321. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Didn't look it up, but uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, somebody had a, what was it? A uh, vaping thing that was overheating. Yeah, one of those yeah. electronic cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. And the overhead. I mean, bin. the problem is they've got they've got a double whammy on that. Not only have they got a lithium ion battery, we know they can cause problems, but it's got a, an extremely hot heating element in there, so either of which can uh, cause a fire. Well, and the good thing is that. It actually happened in checked, not checked, uh, non-checked uh, carry-on luggage and not in one of the cargo bins. And the fact that it was in the cabin itself was, you know, a good thing because they could see that there was something going on and they could handle it. Whereas if it had been in the checked baggage in the cargo hold, uh, then you would have to rely, of course, uh, upon the fire suppression system. But I believe, again, it was... At the gate, they hadn't even pushed, I believe. Um, and uh, so they were able to get everybody off the airplane. Nobody was hurt. But uh, that just goes to show you, we live in an age now with all these lithium-ion-powered devices, and uh, we have to uh, be aware of this danger and know what to do when something like this occurs. For, for sure, particularly at the end of this article where you've managed to uh, generate uh Cameras, noise cancelling headphones, ash lights, even batter heated socks. <laughs> I, know, I, felt, I hate I those mean, batter heated socks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And those absolutely. ash lights. Wow. Yes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> what would you need? An, uh, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to uh, E. A Cathay Pacific A350 got stuck in the tarmac. And we're not talking because of traffic, we're talking it actually literally got stuck. And then tarmac, because the tarmac looks like it gave way to the oh, um, pressure of these oh. tires. Uh, I don't, I've never flown into Tel Aviv. Uh, I, I would imagine, though, that, you know, that's a big international airport uh, that they would have these, these uh, taxiways and ramp areas, you know, stressed for big airplanes, right? Uh, I would have hoped so. Yes, absolutely. So hmm. th this seems unusual. I've no idea why that. Perhaps uh, it was a new piece of tarmac that hadn't been built on spec, or perhaps uh, he drifted off an area uh, where he was supposed to be taxiing. I don't see any hmm. white. Any? Oh, anyway, yes, wait a minute. He looks. He's right on the edge of the. It looks like he's actually over. So you see that double line? I think yeah. he's supposed to be on the other side of that double line. I think this that, happened on pushback, right? 
could have been. I don't know. I didn't yeah. see a tow bar during that. pushback. I think maybe they disconnected it and ran away thinking, oops, probably shouldn't have pushed it over to that. Because <laughs> as, as Captain Nick is mentioning in the photo, one of these photos here, uh, the area beyond the double line with these other yellow markings basically indicate don't operate your airplane over here. <laughs> so it may not have been the, through the top. <laughs> it may not have been the air, airport's fault here. It might have, might have been the yeah. pushback crew's fault. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. you can see the taxiway line off its uh, mm-hmm. right wing. I didn't notice that until we were just discussing it right now. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, now I can see why it got stuck in the tarmac. So it does bring up the uh, the thing about uh, when we're flying big, heavy airplanes, uh, we have a um, uh, a PCN, a placement uh, pavement classification number for where we're taxiing, and uh, we have uh, a rating for our tires and aircraft weight, and we've got to uh, compare the two to ensure that uh, our aircraft uh, and in the configuration of tires that we have uh, isn't too heavy to go over particular parts of an airport. Airport. So, for example, it doesn't usually affect any of the international airports, but if we do an en route diversion, say to, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of somewhere in Mongolia we might uh, divert to, it is possible that uh, some of their tarmac may not be stressed to deal with an aircraft of our weight. So we would uh, need, you know, sometimes we can't even leave the runway area. Uh, you know, if you do an emergency diversion to some of these places. So it's something we have to check up and be aware of. Uh, but, um, yeah, it would look just like this. <laughs> yeah, not good. Maybe even no. worse. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Hey, some sad news. Um, airline Fly BMI, which is what, British Midlands International? Is that what the BMI stands well, for? Yeah, uh, British Midland, uh, but I'm, I think this is an amalgamation. Uh, oh. So, yeah. Well, it's a regional airline, right? Yep. Um, See, I, I don't keep up with how these blokes, uh, these companies have joined up, but BMI used to be an airline on its own. I think um, Fly BMI or Fly B um, is... Now, is that the same? Fly B and Fly BMI? Is that the same don't airline? Know. Oh, okay. Um, I, I ought to know. I don't. No, I don't think that is because it's F-L-Y-B-E. I've seen them and their particular livery. This one... At least the picture that I'm looking at in our in our show notes says yeah. it kind of has blue and says BMI. So all I think that spotters, must be all the British spotters are going to be oh, Captain Nick, for heaven's sake, do you even know that? Yeah, uh, Liz yeah. says they're not the same as Flybe. So um, yeah, oh, I don't different. I've, I've done the search on the web as well. Okay, well, I, d- I don't know that much at all about Flybe. In fact, when I heard that they had gone into administration. In other words, uh, what we would say bankruptcy over here in the U S um, I thought who, Oh, hang on a minute. You can't do that. You, that doesn't happen in the States. You just get a chapter 11, right? Bankruptcy. Yeah. Isn't it the same thing? Administration? Well, or no, not? uh, you, um, chapter 11 protects you guys from your debtors mm-hmm. driving the airline out of business. So mm-hmm. it's allowed to defer all those debts. No, uh, when you go into administration and uh, outside the states, uh, the air, the airline has gone bust. It will cease trading. That's it. Gone. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's usually what happens when airlines go into Chapter Eleven. Here, well, oh, they're, they're different. Yeah, they're Chapter Seven, Chapter Eleven. They're different types of bankruptcy administration here in in, in the U.S. So I think, and yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Chapter Seven is gone. Chapter Eleven is restructured. I'm not sure. I don't know the actual details or differences. I'm on it. 
But uh, yeah, so the airline for which Dana and I fly went into bankruptcy protection um, in the early 2000s and we emerged. Now, it could have gone the other way. It could have gone badly and uh, it could have liquidated. So, I mean, bankruptcy doesn't necessarily mean here in the U.S. that the business is going to go completely under, but there are several examples of airlines that were in bankruptcy and actually did go under, just like Fly, BMI, Eastern Airlines. I mean, we can, when they're <laughs> TWA, Eastern, Pan Am, Braniff are just some that come to mind right off the top of my head. So I guess there's different uh, types of bank, but this is not the bankruptcy pilot guy. No, show, it so. isn't. But this no, di- the difference between Chapter Seven and Chapter Eleven is that the uh, deb- debtors' assets are sold off to pay the lien holders in Chapter Seven, whereas in Chapter Eleven, the debtor negotiates with creditors to after the terms of the loan without having to li- liquidate or sell off. So both the Chapter Seven and Eleven are both uh, basically restructuring. Yeah, not out of business. Okay, but then okay. So I've got I've got it on fly BMI, by the way. Okay, uh, it was um, legally British Midland Regional Limited, uh, branded as BMI Regional, uh, and it was uh, a, a former subsidiary of British Midland International BMI, which was purchased from Lufthansa by IAG. So BMI is now part of uh, British Airways Group IAG. And uh, this was a little independent regional tag along that was trying to make it on its own by the looks. Well, whatever it is, that it's gone. It's uh, it's sad because 376 staff operating 17 planes flying to 25 European cities is all gone, and that's uh, that's a shame. And they're yeah. blaming it on uh, fuel prices and also carbon. Uh, costs because of the the whole uh, green thing and their ability to cue offset. Excuse the, me. Cue the. Oh, well, that's yeah. I don't think this is an appropriate time to play <laughs> Come on. He doesn't, he doesn't know where the button is, Dana. Yeah, we know it is. That's what it is. Got it. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a little bit. Uh, uh, finding ex- uh, an excuse, it seems to me un- unlikely that carbon um, concerns and the fees that they would have to pay because they're not great carbon producers, these aircraft, they're, they're pretty uh, economical. Uh, and they're also complaining it about it might be Brexit. Well, uh, Brexit is, might well in, uh, reduce your future ticket, um, planned ticket purchases. But right now, I don't think there's a big problem. So I don't think the run-up to uh, the demise of this airline was really uh, brought about by Brexit. But Well, it does know. mention the emissions trading scheme, and then they were barred from participating in it. But all UK airlines are barred from full participation in the emissions trading scheme. So I guess there's a way to... Well, when you're in a small airline like this as well, it's probably more difficult than the airlines that are bigger. Oh, for sure. Economies of scale and all that kind of stuff. So probably a lot of reasons why they they went under. They may have been just barely making it as is. And this was just the final straw. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we are not economists here on the show. Um, And we'll we'll leave that for them to all sort out. 
And uh, the last item here, uh, British Airways sends passengers to a brothel. Uh, two, mm-hmm. br- two British Airways flights were canceled at the same time on St. Lucia. Crews were sent to hotels. Some passengers were sent to what could technically be called hotels, while others left overnight at the airport without information or assistance. You had to pay for your room by the hour, is that right? <laughs> that was the first clue. British Airways yeah. apparently even sent several passengers to a brothel for the night. Um, anyway, I, I think that we just threw that in there because it was kind of uh, provocative, right? Um, sleep, uh, sleeping in the airport is never fun. This is from the uh, View from the Wing, a blog. Um, let's see. Sleeping in the airport is never fun, although being left in the airport may not have been the very worst thing that happened to passengers. The lucky ones that went to hotels didn't get their dream accommodations by any stretch, but they got accommodated. <laughs> Maybe the what? Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Fraught with maybe danger. maybe they were accommodated as well yeah. in a different way anyway um so that was probably an interesting experience that they're going to be able to tell their grandkids maybe anyway apparently uh apparently there was a united pilot who ran brothels all over houston yeah we talked about that uh, yeah that was um something that happened i think early last year or the year before um, and Hainan Airlines put passenger up in a, an SMN, S&M themed hotel on Valentine's Day three years ago. They're really scraping the barrel with this one, aren't they? Sugar and mincemeat, right? S&M. That's the one. All right. Let's move on before we get into any trouble. And it's time now for your feedback. Captain. Message. Let's start with Nick. Wait a minute, Nick. I'm confused. You sent us feedback, Nick. I still do every every week. Oh, oh but that's wait plain a tale. This is a different one. Ah, this is Nick. Nick C. Uh, he says, "I've attached some feedback regarding a trip I'm taking over to Europe this summer, with the hope of maybe getting a few meetups lined up. It's long. Sorry." At about 10 and a half minutes. So if you'd like, I could summarize it in a textual note that Jeff can read instead. No, that would be boring and it would be too much work for me, Nick. So we're going to go ahead and play your audio feedback. So here we go. Take it away, Nick. Hey, Captain Jeff and the rest of the APG crew. This is Nick from Wichita, the air capital. And I wanted to send you uh, a quick piece of feedback here regarding a trip I'm going to take this summer and the possibility of getting a couple of meetups uh, lined up with it. Uh, I was going to chat about Oshkosh on this trip and must-sees that you got to do and my experiences there. And it uh, just turns out that I have way too much stuff to talk about and this uh, feedback would have gone real long. So I'm going to send you another feedback later about that. Uh, so this time I won't talk about Oshkosh other than to say, unfortunately, I'm not sure I'm going to make it to Oshkosh. I usually go for a week. I'm s- going to try to make it for at least a couple of days this week or this year, but uh, I have a really unique opportunity uh, this summer that may preclude my annual pilgrimage to Oshkosh. And that is that a C-47 that I'm involved with based in Paso Robles, California, has been invited to take part in the um, festivities to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the invasion of Normandy, uh, which is uh, D-Day Operation overlord all these things that uh 
various people may know that by. Um, but the uh, the cool thing is that there's a an organization over there uh, setting up a number of uh, events, and they've invited uh, quite a few airplanes from the United States to come over and take part. And uh, we were one of those airplanes. So I'm really looking forward to that. And on top of that, we're also going to be going on to Germany to be involved in the 70th anniversary of uh, the Berlin Airlift and uh, a number of festivities they have scheduled there. Uh, once again, super long feedback, so I'm not going to go into a bunch of details about my uh, experience with this C-47. Uh, I might do that also in a later uh, feedback if anyone's interested, uh, maybe not. But like I said, this airplane is based in Paso Robles. Uh, we're going to fly it across the country uh, in the middle of May, probably be leaving California uh, the second week of May, stopping over in the Wichita or Kansas City area uh, around May 8th, May 9th, May 7th, May 8th. Uh, then we're going to be in Frederick, Maryland, May 10th and 11th for the AOPA fly-in. This is their 80th anniversary fly-in, so that should be a pretty big function. Uh, once we get done with that, our airplane's going to spend three or four days doing uh, formation familiarization and practice flights and uh, stuff like that with a number of the other aircraft that are going across up in um, the northeast somewhere to be determined, final location to be determined. And then uh, that all will uh, conclude with uh, a really cool opportunity, I think, on uh, what is tentatively scheduled for May 17th, which is a mass formation uh, flight down the Hudson River and then uh, some photo passes around the Statue of Liberty and stuff like that with a number of the airplanes that are actually making the trip across. Uh, so that'll be really cool, I believe. Then our airplane will travel from um, the United States, probably leaving, departing from Connecticut. We're going to go the northern route, so we're going to go Goose Bay, Canada, possibly to Narciswick, Greenland, Reykjavik, Iceland, and then on to Scotland, either Prestwick or Wick. This is the tentative uh, landing location there. I say possibly for Reykjavik, or possibly for Narciswick, because... Uh, we're actually adding a ferry tank to our airplane and we're going to try to um, forego that fuel stop due to logistical uh, hurdles and cost of fuel and other stuff there. So once we get into, uh, once we get over to Great Britain, uh, we'll be there, hoping to be there by June 2nd. Might be there earlier if the weather is good. Uh, June 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, there will be a number of uh, Training and practice flights, uh, we're going to be based out of Duxford. Number of training and practice flights in Duxford. And then um, a cool component of all of these things is they're going to, they have also incorporated the uh, reenactment jump teams from here in the States. <coughs> there are about three major jump teams that actually do reenactment jumps out of airplanes such as ours. We've done it about four air shows with our airplane. And these guys jump out of the airplanes with the non-steerable, World War II style round parachutes at 1,200 to 1,500 feet. Um, it's super cool. Uh, I've really been fortunate to uh, be involved in that. And so uh, we're going to do a number of those over England. And then uh, on June 5th, the airplane's going to, uh, our airplane has actually been chosen as one of the lead airplanes because it's 
scheme and configuration is quite representative of what the airplane actually flew um, actually flew as uh, in Europe in World War II. <coughs> so June 5th, we're going to load up a bunch of paratroopers and fly across the channel and uh, do a drop. And then uh, we make our transition over to the France section of all the festivities. And um, so basically June, uh, about June 6th through June 9th, we'll be uh, based in Cane, uh, C-A-E-N. <coughs> this is where my uh, worldly traveler of traveling everywhere from Kansas to California uh, is gonna sh is gonna really show up, but uh, we'll be based in Kane at Kane Carpiquet or uh, however that should be pronounced um, in France, uh, six through the approximately six through the ninth of June, uh, and then on June tenth we head over to uh, Germany to begin the Berlin airlift functions, and uh, we'll be in Weisbaden for a couple of days. Uh, Weisbaden, Fassberg, Jagel or Jagel Air Base. Um, I'm assuming that all of those are kind of in proximity to each other. Uh, on my list, I'm showing that we're going to be there from about the 10th to the 13th. On the 15th, we go up to Berlin. Uh, we're in Berlin um, 15th through about the 19th. And we're doing uh, programs in Schoenhagen and Berlin. And uh, and then 19th and 20th, we bring the airplane back to Duxford, get ready to cross back over uh, to the United States, which um, <coughs> for us is going to entail putting the ferry tank back in. Uh, we also have to actually do a service check and an oil change and a bunch of stuff because uh, we will have flown the airplane so much since we left the continental United States. So um, the 20th, we depart Duxford uh, coming back and uh, plan to get back into the States um, probably no later than the 1st of July. So uh, that's the tentative schedule. Like I said, uh, I might send out another feedback uh, with a little more detail about our airplane, a little more detail about my history with it. Um, but I wanted to kind of get those dates out there and at least get some people, especially some people in Europe, uh, thinking about these functions. I, I think it's going to be really kind of a once-in-a-lifetime type of thing to see all of these uh, C-47s over there and the reenactor jumpers. And um, I know that we're fortunate over here in the States to have <coughs> a pretty good contingent of warbirds flying and uh, we're able to do a lot of stuff like dropping all sorts of paratroopers and doing all sorts of reenactments. Um, but I, I know that it's been uh, quite a lot of work to cut through some of the government red tape um, to get this to happen, especially over in, in France. Uh, so I think it'd be uh, be really a neat thing to see. So I wanted to get the dates out, uh, let people think about it. Maybe if there are people over in Europe who might be interested in getting together, uh, having a little meetup, um, I'll be with the airplane most of the time. Uh, I'll, I'll be moderately busy handling logistics and maintenance and doing some flying, but uh, I'd love to uh, meet up and chat with some people. So I'll just give out a bunch of websites here real quick. Uh, ddaysquadron.org is the website for the uh, American contingent. Uh, that's the group 
going from continental US over. And so that should have information about a bunch of our functions stateside. And then uh, daxovernormandy.com, that's D-A-K-S, short for Dakotas. They're handling all the European and French functions. So you can, should be able to, as times get, as we get closer, should be able to go to their website and, uh, and find information on events there. I think they've actually already started selling tickets for at least the Duxford functions. And then uh, berlinairlift70.com is the website for the uh, functions in Germany. Uh, and then if you want to follow us, uh, our specific airplane, uh, our website is betsysbiscuitbomber.com or you can go on Facebook and uh, either just, you can search either Betsy's Biscuit Bomber or uh, Goonie Bird Group and we should pop up. You can follow our progress. Uh, you could give us money. You can give us uh, moral support. <laughs> All of which uh, I, I think this trip is going to require all of all of those things. So, um, yeah, I appreciate the uh, time, Jeff. Sorry this got so long, but uh, I look forward to uh, hearing from some uh, people along the way. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Are you kidding me? What? That's awesome. <laughs> I'm thinking, I wish I could be part of that. That looks or sounds like an amazing trip. And we have we have APG community members in the the Maryland area that he was talking about. And we have a ton of them over there in the UK and in Germany. And I think that for sure, Nick, I'm, I'm sure that you're already on the Slack team, right? Um, uh -huh. We definitely need to almost make a, you know, separate channel. Hello. Yeah. Uh, that would be cool. in, in the, yeah. um, in the, on the Slack group to uh, kind of keep track of the uh, schedule calendar, potential meetups and everything else. I think Nick, you're going to, you're going to have so many, people from the apg community wanting to meet up with you and look at that amazing airplane that you're going to kind of probably regret even mentioning it on the on well the show. Uh, early june he's going to be at duxford which is not that far away from me so mm -hmm. uh, i mean seeing him uh, somewhere between the second and the fifth of june at duxford it would be fantastic and if uh, any apgers uh, want to join us i'll uh, certainly sort out a particular day when most people see it be free and try and uh, get a meet up there and uh, try and contact Nick to uh, say, can we meet you and look over your deck and chat to you about it? See, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What was it called? Biscuit Betty? Is that what he called the uh, name of the uh, Dakota? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Biscuit Betty. Something like that. Well, um, I'll try to go back and listen to uh, all those websites that he mentioned and make sure that they're listed on the, or in the show notes. And uh, wow. I hope I have an opportunity to get to, uh, Check out that airplane, Nick. But certainly I'm on uh, the uh, DaxOverNormandy.com website right now looking at it. And uh, there's there are some dates there which are good. Uh, and there's also uh, a nice uh, mention of the team, the UK and the European team members. So there's plenty of people to get in touch with. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it looks like it'll be fun. Looks like uh, or must be an amazing um example of that particular airplane because it seems to be featured in a lot of the different uh, events that they're going to be involved with oh it's going to be brilliant i mean we have a few uh, i know the uh, royal air force uh, battle of britain memorial um uh, aircraft they have a dac so uh yeah they have one uh, it'd be great to have a crawl over a fly
flying one for me because it was one of the very first commercial aircraft my father ever flew, and I would love to uh, to sit in the same seat he did and handle those controls for a second. That would be superb. Yeah, very cool. Well, Nick, thank you very much for that, and uh, look forward to hearing your other feedback that you were going to tell us about uh, things. You know, don't miss things. I'm sure we'll get more and more of that kind of thing. Uh, as we get closer to Oshkosh. Uh, Absolutely. But, now, <clears throat> Nick said he was going to be at Oshkosh, didn't he? I believe so. Excellent. I don't know. So, well, he, he said he was going to miss it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine that he may have to because he's going to be gone for, I don't know what kind of job that uh, Nick has. He must be retired or something. But it, he sounds young. Um, yeah, he does. That apparently he's taking off a, a bunch of time from work. And Nick, if I'd already know what you do for a living and I've forgotten, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I've, we've met before and uh, I just don't recall all the details. So you'll have to, uh, you'll have to remind me of all that. And I, th- I have a feeling in the next few months, we're going to be hearing a lot more from Nick Comancho. Yeah, It's interesting. They've got the time till, uh, well, it says 102 days till, I guess, till they arrive in the UK. But I retire in 101 days. So it's the day after I retire. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're going to have all kinds of time. I am. Yeah. The two Nicks. Yeah. The Nick and Nick cool. show. Very cool. <laughs> Camacho, by the way, I, I keep pronouncing his uh, name wrong. Sorry about that, Nick. Anyway. Well, that's right. He, he mangled all the European names. So yeah. Uh, uh, Wiesbaden. I, I picked up on that one. Um, yeah. A couple others that I'm thinking, no, I don't think that's right. But you know, <laughs> who am I to correct? I'm only right 50% well, of the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway. Um, Wow, that is exciting. Thank you, Nick, for uh, sending that information in, and, and uh, we're going to be there with you as much as we can. And, Absolutely. Uh, and we'll, we'll try to support you in any way we can, including financially. So, folks, you know, heed his uh, plea for, for support. All right. Let's move on. Speaking of retirement, uh, both Michael and Joel, uh, right? Uh, first, uh, Michelle or Michael. Uh, hi, Jeff. I have a question for Captain Nick and his plans for retirement. And in general, what do pilots do once retired? Well, can, <laughs> you know, well unfortunately, there's a high percentage <laughs> that do. Um, but, you know, I think that's changing. It used to be like 30 years ago when I was hired by Acme. There is a there was a stat. I don't know if this is true or not, but I, most people were quoting it all the time that most airline pilots, when they when they retired at age 60, were dead. By age 65. Because well, uh, luckily my father uh, has managed to sort that right. out because he, he's back out of hospital now. So he's back living at home, uh, 95 years old, still going wow. strong. So, Brilliant. yeah, he's, he's definitely uh, a, uh, an exception to that rule. But I think I sense that that is probably changing for a number of reasons, you know, our, our more advanced healthcare, et cetera. But I think a big part of it is that many of the pilots back in the older days, a previous generation or two, you know, pretty much what they did for a living was it. I mean, that's, they were defined by their job. And when they no longer had that job, many of them didn't know what to do, th- do with themselves and didn't feel like, you know, it, that they were doing anything, you know, worthwhile for society and whatever and they just kind of withered away and died and so I thought well that's it but i think that our generation and future generations 
are we're so involved with things like podcasting about aviation and doing all kinds of other things that sometimes this job kind of gets in the way of all the other stuff that's going on in our lives. So I think that that's one of the big reasons why I think that airline pilots are going to last longer after retirement in the future, just kind of keep engaged and keep their minds going and that kind of thing. I don't know. Do you yeah, feel I was flying with a lovely first officer the other day who uh, is an engineer uh, in his back garden and he uh, constructs and sells uh, micro jet engines. Uh, he um, is an instructor. He's a glider pilot. He, uh, I mean, he just started listing all the things he does. He does, um, you know, uh, mountain bike riding. He, uh, I don't know, they just went on and on. And I was going, boy, oh boy. And he says, I can't wait to get part time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, think so too. I think, yeah, that, I think that's a big shift in, in careers and between our current generation and the previous generations. Um, could be wrong, but. I suspect that. Uh, I, I think it's, <laughs> I, I don't mean to joke about it, but I think it's the level of automation, right? Now there's a lot more autopilots than there were back then. I, uh, I'm, 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 really, I'm really only joking. I'm really only yeah, joking. Yeah, I don't think that really has anything to do with it. I'm not really following <laughs> not, this. Not, nothing to do with it. But, okay. you know, what I was going to say is, is actually uh, not only, you know, having more things and better things to do, um, you know, I'm not so sure back then that they had the polarized, uh, the polarized windshields to help protect them a little bit, and also the better, much much better medical care that we have nowadays. You know that we can manage through a lot of uh, diseases a lot better than we could back. You know, even just 10, 15. Yeah, I think te- medical technology obviously is a, a yeah. big part in longevity for the general population, but specifically for pilots, um, I think a, a big part of it was the uh, just the fact that many of these pilots felt like well that was the only thing that they really were doing and they didn't know what to do with themselves and they just kind of withered away and and passed on a to much their next lower life. divorce rate so anyway a much lower divorce rate mm-hmm. now before we leave this feedback i see steph's joined us mm-hmm. um can i just uh the bit you highlighted there because it sounds like uh um well, we've been asked. Yes, you're going to do that. Was, we've only done um, Michelle oh, okay. or Michael's portion, um, and I believe, yeah, because I actually, yeah, we just started reading a couple of his sent the sentences uh, from his feedback, and in fact, maybe I haven't even read any of it yet. We just kind of jumped into retirement there. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, I did read that first um, sentence, and that was it. Uh, he continues, will he continue to keep up his pilot's license and fly GA for fun, or is he hanging up his goggles and headset for good? Nick, what say you? Possibly. Possibly. I, I, I'm, I might take up some gliding, but I think for a while I'm just going to put my feet up. Thanks so much. Okay. And then John, uh, excuse me, not John, Joel Billywiz from Brighton uh, wrote in. I had an exchange with him earlier today, actually, uh, via email. Um, he, uh, was one of our coffee fund contributors. Thank you, Joel. Uh, he says, first of all, thank you to all of you for your brilliant podcast. It helps me keep sane whilst doing laps of the M25. Ask Nick. If any question has already been asked and answered, then I apologize. I did mean to ask you a couple of years ago at your Fombra meetup, but I forgot. Jeff, Nick, and Dana, 
Do any of you intend on continuing to fly once you've retired? Any plans to buy or part share a general aviation aircraft? I think Nick has Lasham Airfield up the road from him, and I believe it has a large glider club. Maybe a towing pilot job would be fun. If you, and he also adds, if you have time when reading my feedback, could you give my cousin Liam, cousin Liam, a shout out? He works for Acme Reds Crew Ops in Crawley. So here's a shout out. Yay, cousin Liam. Yeah, thanks very much, Ops. Uh, I, I speak to them regularly and uh, they're a fine bunch of people. Excellent. And, and he, by the way, mm-hmm. what is this job? Uh, towing pilot job i do you tow pilots around um, perhaps you do in the uk i don't know i've never heard of it over here uh, yeah, no. right. <laughs> well there, there are two forms of that there's a tow pilot for a glider and there's a two tow pilot to tow banners around one of the two ways of yeah so he oh, was being, it's, not, it's not a pilot with a ring in his nose yeah, and you have yeah, a rope and yeah. he, was trying, he was trying to be funny dana yes yeah. i'm not succeeding obviously <laughs> it was not a literal question okay um, and then he goes, P.S. Postscript, the attached picture is of me sporting one of your APG t-shirts just before mm-hmm. going flying in a Cicada TB20. Farum, Fambra one. Yeah. Fambra. Well, but it's, yeah, it's, but it's an APG one, sort of. Yeah. And, yeah, and I'm wearing the APG good. logo today, as a matter of fact. Excellent. I'm wearing something that Liz gave me. Um, Ooh. That, I don't know uh, if you can oh, see it or not. It's the nice uh, Canadian. G-string. Yeah. Thank you. Um, let's see. So let me continue with his feedback. The The aircraft is owned by a chap called Peter and is based at Shoreham Airport. This is as close as I will ever get to my dream job, but at least it's something. And then he post post script. Shoreham Airport would be a great place for a meetup. Hint, hint, I guess. It's you a, know, I, I, Shoreham was one of the airports that I did my very first solo uh, cross country to. Cool. There you go. So uh, we have a nice picture of Joel uh, in front of November 113 Alpha Charlie, a uh, beautiful Trinidad. And a nice triple bladed prop, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. So, uh, Dana, are, what do you think? Are you going to get involved in the GA world, do you think, after you retire or maybe even before you retire? You know, I actually, it's kind of funny you should mention that because I was talking about this exact topic with my buddy Dave uh, in Memphis the other day. And uh, we you know, had a nice little tour of the, uh, the Lear and, and uh, the uh, flight deck, which is far more modern than what I fly these days. But, you know, I came from the corporate world and there's really, in, unless there's a medical reason why I can't fly after I retire, you know, if I'm still enjoying it as much as I do currently, which is uh, immensely, uh, then I will probably stay active to some extent in, in contract flying in the corporate world and or, you know, very likely uh, do a little flight instructing on the side because I'm still an active uh, and current flight instructor and keep, continue to keep it active and want to keep it going uh, all the way through my, uh, you know, all the way through my elder years. So I do enjoy it. Uh, I choose not to do a whole lot of GA flying currently only because, you know, I'm flying, uh, you know, professionally all the time. So when I'm away from it, just kind of like Nick's talking about in his retirement, uh, when I'm not at work, I like to kick my feet up and enjoy life a little bit. So that's, uh, you know, leads into, you know, maybe the longevity of, of uh, myself and others in, in this business. And the, um, well, I don't know. Uh, the guys of old had a lot of leisure time, a lot more than we have now. Um, again, so I'm not sure that that is actually a, a 
big factor. I guess everything is a factor, but uh, Simon, um, he's talking about the uh, age of pilots passing away after retirement, that he was talking about aerotoxic syndrome. Actually, I think the stats are showing that now pilots are living longer than they used to after they retire. But again, I could be just pulling it out of my hat. Wazoo? Wazoo. No, hat. Um, Okay. Um, So as far as I'm concerned, um, I would love to get involved in GA after I retire. I can't now because I spend all of my time doing the show. Uh, between flying trips and actually during trips uh, a lot of my time i'm spending with and i and i love it i'm not complaining at all by by a long shot that's a labor of love and uh, i love what i'm doing but i can see that i might have some more time and as long as the financial situation works out okay then perhaps uh get an airplane or maybe share an airplane with somebody something like that i can see myself doing that so anyway uh oh look Look at there. I, I see somebody. Her video, is there a doctor in the house? A doctor is in the No, I'm off duty. House. Definitely <laughs> off duty. <laughs> oh. oh. I think it's been a wow. tough day. Sounds like it. It's uh, been a very long day. From our lakeside cottage. My <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. Didn't mean to sorry. interrupt you. But I'm, I'm trying to introduce you. Yeah, Julie. From her lake t- lakeside cottage her studio there uh let's see i'm doing this without notes a marathon runner an ipa connoisseur strength training junkie commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot and more a lot a lot more it's the lovely dr steph hello hello captain jeff captain nick captain dana it's good to see you guys finally sorry yeah. for my tardiness hey i like it it's bring it's a doctor's of- note it's kind of a, it's kind of like, what do they call that? Uh, what the prima donnas do. They, they just have a yeah, big it's entrance. Fashionably late. Fashionably late. That's it. Yes. 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 There you go. <laughs> Steph, you look like someone's pulled your plug and, and drained you of, of. I'm uh, pretty tired right now. I'm you not going to lie. I, uh, it's not even a very good picture. And I'm going, oh, poor Steph, she looks terrible. I'm no, tired. that's impossible. I'm very tired. <laughs> Are those toothpicks well, like, holding holding your eyes open? Toothpicks? Yes, yes. I'm going to need some shortly. Um, oh, for you. Yeah, we'll. Uh, you I'll look, tell you more about that momentarily. I'm sure as to why. You look I'm like so you're tired. drunk. And you're not even drunk. <laughs> I've had nothing to drink. Not even nothing since Sunday. Well, get on it. <laughs> I'm having cheers. Trust me, it'll make this experience on the show much much better for you. I'm having a sports drink right now. It oh, has okay. no alcohol in it. Mm. I was hoping that you'd read some technical documents, but oh, well, mm. maybe in a, a you know what? Show. The fatigue might do the same job. It really might. <laughs> okay. yeah, I know that they goes. say when you're fatigued, it's about the same as being uh, <laughs> buzzed or intoxicated, depending on your level of fatigue, right? Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Well, Steph, the last time we yeah. saw you and heard yes. from you, uh, you were in Salt Lake City at the Wasatch Brewing Company. I was. In fact, you were about to... Uh, like kick off a meetup uh, and you yep. you left us hanging i know i'm sorry we just disappeared at that point well, we missed you and we did record some audio did you, you did. get a chance to play that already no i have yeah. not oh okay we well, have not played we can pick yet. right on up where well kind of where we left off i recorded this at the end of the meetup so. okay without further ado here we go the biggest thing 
All right, so we're here at the Wasatch Brew Pub in Salt Lake City having a little uh, APG meetup. have a couple of listeners here, and I am going to let them introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about who they are and what they do and how, they're, how they got interested in aviation. So here we go. We'll start with Brian. Yeah, hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian Parrott. I'm still working on a PPL, looking at doing either some humanitarian flying or maybe some airlines someday. We'll see. And uh, advanced APG syndrome, I'm afraid. Had an APG dream the other night, so that's probably not good. Um, There's really no cure for that. I, I don't even know where to tell him who to, what specialist to see for, for treatment or some sort of uh, medication or ointment. I don't know what, what goes along with that, but I'm sorry. And my insurance doesn't cover go around to Cillin, so that's not an option. Anyway, um, yeah, thanks for the podcast. Really appreciate it, and I'll pass you along. I am Natalie Bernardo, and I was brought here by Brian, <laughs> and um, I am not in aviation at all, although my dad works in the Portuguese department for a airline very similar to Acme, based in Atlanta, <laughs> and uh, I enjoy riding on airplanes, so there we go. <laughs> She's a good sport. <laughs> This is Nate Haslam. I really appreciate all you guys bring to the podcast world, kind of the academic approach to flying in-depth looks at things to think about. Um, I I have an academic background in therapy, but did my undergrad in aviation, hadn't flown for about eight years until this last year, and I don't think podcasts even existed then. So when I got back into a- aviation, looked at podcasts and found you guys. Anyways, I'm about a month out from my CFI checkride. Been doing uh, lots of ground and doing some right seat flying, hoping it goes well. Uh, thanks for providing this opportunity to meet up with the community. Here's Dr. Steph. All right. Well, it's been a very enjoyable evening. And my thanks again to Nate, Natalie, and Brian for coming out and joining me here. And uh, my brothers made an appearance, too, but I told them they didn't have to be on the the recording. So uh, anyway, uh, we'll wrap this up and I'll throw it back to you in the studio. Back to you, Captain Jeff. Well, thank you. Uh, The the guy that thinks that this is an academic approach to uh, flying, had he had a lot to drink? Nate has an academic background. Oh, I know. That's why he should be able to recognize that there's nothing academic about this show. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, those were a great group of people that showed up. Nate, Natalie, and Brian, thank you all for, for coming out. And uh, um, yeah, we'll do it again sometime the next time I'm back in Salt Lake City. Yeah, I don't think our show is peer-reviewed, is it? Mm. Well, no, no. Well, I mean, the, I've the, heard the some quality... people make comments, our peer group, that uh, they're in <laughs> not good reviews. The quality uh, of the research that happens on this show is suspect at best. It's uh, very true. Yeah, Liz says, you can trust any of the recommendations either. Liz, Liz says maybe he meant anemic. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Thanks, Liz. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, anyway, so that was the um, the start to my Salt Lake City trip, which was Wednesday through Sunday. How was the conference? Uh, conference was great. Did you learn a lot of stuff about? I always learn a lot of career? stuff at that conference. Yep. Uh-huh. yep. Always. <laughs> It's a good reason. Come on. As I've said, this is actually the conference that I enjoy attending the most for multiple reasons, but chief among them is that the information presented is the most relevant and helpful for what I do on a day to day basis in terms of 
I'm getting there, Dana. I'm getting there. <laughs> so uh, good information, good, relevant um, learning. A lot of it applies to the things I do on a day-to-day basis. None of it has to do with aviation, um, but that's another story. <laughs> Second uh, reason it's great is because of the skiing, obviously, as Dana has mentioned multiple times now. <laughs> and it was a banner year in Park City for snow. They've had, I don't even know, I think Park City's had near 300 inches of snow already. Whoa, some of the um, some of the big Cottonwood resorts or some of the Cottonwood Canyon resorts, so big and little Cottonwood Canyon, have had over 400 inches of snow this year. Um, it's the most snow I've seen in Park City in a long time. Let's just say that. Oh, and by the way, my drive from Salt Lake City to Park City after the meetup was the most. I dri- the drive was in the most snow that I've driven in in many many years. As soon as I got into the canyon, it was. Uh, quickly became very, very snowy. Um, the roads were covered and uh, it was hard to even tell what lane you were traveling in. Mm. So that was a fun experience on. Well, thank I you for risking your life for the APG. Hey, yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. Matt, I do. They have big snow sticks on the road to show you where yes, the edges not, are. Not on I-8, not on the uh, main highway, but certainly um, I actually have some pictures of that because um, as you're skiing in Park City and especially on the canyon side, there's a whole lot of cabins and things built up in the mountains that are private residences. But the road that goes up there was just, it's funny to watch them plow it. They actually have this machine that's kind of like a giant snowblower that goes along the very edge and makes the, makes kind of like a cut into the snow on the side of the road, but they have stakes there. So you can see where the edge of the road actually is. I had never seen that before. That was pretty interesting. Um, but several feet of snow on the side of the road. I mean, like five or six feet of snow on the side of the road. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was, it was great conditions for skiing. Um, got to see a lot of my, I got to see all of my siblings while I was there and all of my nieces and nephews. So family and, and friends, um, is another important part of that conference for me, including my friends that, um, make the trip out for the conference itself that every year. And, Thanks to their daughter, I uh, came home with a bit of a cold <laughs> on Sunday. Well, actually, I went, I, I finished skiing on Saturday and went to visit with my sister on Saturday night. And by the time I left there, I did not feel good at all. I think I was running a fever at that point and was starting to feel kind of congested and scratchy throat and not good stuff. So I, I was actually checking into a different hotel that night. So I checked into the hotel. Drew a very hot bath, relaxed, uh, went to bed as early as possible, did not set an alarm for the next day. I thought about skiing a half a day, but decided it wasn't wasn't worth it since I'd already had several days of very, very good skiing. Um, slept in, had room service breakfast, kind of treated myself to self-care Sunday. Um, uh, had lunch with my brothers and then basically made my way back to the airport and flew home and thought I was doing a little bit better until I woke up yesterday morning and discovered that no, really not feeling any better. And uh, went to work anyway and kind of struggled through that for a little while and then decided, nope, I, I'm not well enough to be here. So I called it a day early and rescheduled those patients to later this week, which uh, was what was kind of catching up with me today. Um, not so much that I had patients to see, but I had a lot of paperwork and other stuff that I did not get a chance to get caught up on yesterday. So that leads me to my 12-hour workday today and the fact that I'm just joining you now. Good times, huh? Great times. Good people. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I am feeling... <clears throat> I don't even know what to say. <laughs> that's just me being tired. It doesn't have anything to do with you all. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I'm I'm tired, but I feel much better. I'm not sick anymore. Good. I'm just sounds like you have a little. Uh, sounds like a little. Yeah, congestion. I'm a little congested still, maybe, yeah. but in terms of feeling that, I don't feel That's bad good. anymore. Good. Yeah. No fever and all that. No, 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 not anymore. Well, hey, you know, Steph, I hate to put a damper on the fact that you're just starting to feel a little bit better. But, yes. Well, we received some feedback. Oh no. And uh, yeah, it. Well, you're already sitting down, so yeah, I'm sitting down. I hope you'll be able to take this. But all I've got is like my electrolytes drink here because I've been sick. Well, you know, you mentioned that you have a new member of the of the canine family. Indeed. And uh, well, it seems that all isn't going as well as you think it is. Um, we, we received this from. Um, oh. I think it's well, it, it'll be a evidence here in a minute. Uh, Dear Jeff, Dana, and Nick. Now, that should be a clue. It was Uh-oh. not addressed to you, Steph. It's not even, I, I don't even have it to read it. I'm not sure where this mm. came from. Well, mm. here, just listen closely. Okay. Hello. I'm a longtime listener, occasional contributor, but this is my first feedback. Or is it a plea for help? This is not aviation feedback, but your community is my best hope. Please listen to my sad tale of cruelty and loss of privacy. My name is Taco. I'm a small but loving dog, but my life has taken a turn for the worse. Please allow me to tell you my tale of woe. Firstly, oh, he, Taco I'm just going to go grab some tissues now. Taco says T-A-I-L of woe. <laughs> very, very cute, Taco. Uh, firstly, my human servant, whom I shall not name, thought it would be a great idea to take me on a tri-marathon or some such nonsense. This I did not enjoy. I ask you, just look at my legs. I'm sure you'll agree, they're dancers' legs, not running through mud legs. What an indignity it was. Wet, muddy, and cold. What sort of person would enjoy that? It's beyond me. If this wasn't tragedy enough, she who shall not be named decided that I wasn't enough of a family for her. Unbelievable. So all of a sudden, we have another thing in a once harmonious kennel. This thing is called True Tex or something like that. It's just too much, I tell you, too much. Rushing around, seeking attention. Oh, love me, love me. Well, I can tell you, this was my job. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not a job share situation. So what I'm looking for is alternative kenneling in an aviation household. This I thought would be the perfect medium to ask about it. I look forward to your response. Maybe Nick, Jeff, Dana would vet, nasty word that, the replies. I must wish my former servant and Trumbo, if that's his name, all the best for the future. I'm sure they'll miss me, but that's their loss. Finally, I must thank the lovely Mr. Ivor McDonald. He kindly facilitated this message for me. These are not his views, but mine only. Whilst on the subject of exceptional people like Ivor, his friend and advisor Quentin is also a man of substance. I hear that a vacancy may arise at APG Towers in the near future. He is that little touch of class that the show currently lacks. Anyway, here's to a new home without true worm <laughs> and a it's dazzling weird. future for APG. Love and barks. Taco. Hey, yeah. Taco, no worries, baby doll. You can come stay here anytime and be proud. Yeah, if you had your rabies shots, Taco, if you have, mate, you're very, very welcome. 
Yeah, that although hurts. that last paragraph, that kind of hurt hurts. all of us, didn't it? I think so. A lack of a touch of class. Hmm. Yes. So definitely. No, definitely talking about me on that one. I don't know. So Taco, if you're listening, we're, we'll, we'll do our best to find you a, a new place to live. And I thought it was going so well. <laughs> well, <laughs> looks can be deceiving. Yeah. I wish he would have told me personally. <laughs> Instead of writing to you all. I know. And I'm apparently he has, he has skills on the iPad. I see that. Yes, iPad. Well, I, my thanks to Ivor for facilitating Taco's, uh, for taking that dictation. I didn't know you were fluent in whatever language talk. it is that dogs. He's a dog whisperer. Mexican dog box. <laughs> yeah, Mexican dog. <laughs> Oh, Chihuahua pretty sure that's all he said the entire time and i or just interpreted <laughs> based on the uh based uh, on the intonation yeah anyway very well done thank you uh, ivor for really like that that well, that was cute i'm crying a little bit still, <laughs> it kind of hurts <laughs> it hurts because sometimes I get the feeling that Taco really does feel that way. Right <laughs> oh, it's Taco. a little bit more personal than you expected. Yeah, yeah, oh, sorry. That's yeah, Ivor's fault. That's good. It's, it's, it's good. It's been good for Taco. It's been a growth <laughs> experience for him. Let's yeah. just say. <laughs> that reminds me, we had this wonderful dog, Holly, that we uh, got from a, um, a kill shelter and had her for several years. And occasionally... Linda's mom would come by with this dog, uh, a dachshund named Greta and poor, poor Holly would put up with her, but was so happy when Linda's mom would leave and take Greta with them. And then one day Greta came to visit and she never left because we inherited Greta and Uh Poor Holly, <laughs> after a few days, was going, uh, so what's going on here? Why when, is when this is, dog still when here? When is Greta going to leave? Yeah. <laughs> I think she's overstayed by a couple of days now. Yeah. So yeah. if she probably could have written a letter like this, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah. The unwelcome relative. <laughs> she finally was just uh, you know, resigned to the fact that Greta was never going to leave. Mm. Mm. Holly Poor left Holly. us a couple of years ago, unfortunately. Uh-oh. Yeah. Greta's still here. I was going to say, is Greta still there? <laughs> yep. Here she is. 18 years plus. Holy camoly. Mm-hmm. She can't speaking, really speaking see. She can't really hear. <laughs> it's really pretty, pretty pitiful, actually. Oh, she just stopped listening. Yeah. She's still speaking, a cutie. Okay. Speaking, speaking of dogs, I would be remorse for not saying so since we're talking about the topic, but my mother lost hers today. Oh, yeah, oh, 17 sad. years old and I think 48 days. So that's, a, that's a, a hell of a record. Yeah. Long mm-hmm. time. So. Okay. Still sad though. Move on. Okay. Well, I think that this might be a great opportunity for us to continue with the show and do what you've all been waiting for. The whole reason that you tune in. <laughs> To the show Shut apparently. Up, Jeff. <laughs> Shut up, Jeff. And, That's the one. Shut up, Jeff. Shut up, Jeff. And uh, this is this week's edition of the old pilot's plane tale. Take it away. The old pilot's plane tales. 
One of our bombs is missing. In the past, I've talked about aircraft that go missing. But a little while ago, Sylvie told me about a few bombs that went missing and put a little town in Oklahoma right on the map. Let me take you back to the Second World War, to the 5th of July 1943 to be precise. The 8th Air Force in Europe, the Mighty Eight, had been flying out of England with the B-17 Flying Fortress and suffering heavy losses. So back home in the United States, training to replace lost crews was going ahead apace, and none more so than at the Dalhart Army Air Base in Texas. That night, some four crews were coming close to completing their training and were getting airborne to conduct practice night bombing missions on a range near Conlon, Texas. In their bomb bays were several large practice bombs which contained nearly 100 pounds, that's 45 kilos of sand, but were tipped with 3 pounds, 1.5 kilos of explosive designed to create a realistic amount of smoke and flash for the bomber crews to see. As it got dark, with their four right cyclone turbocharged radial engines bellowing, the aircraft got airborne and set course for the range, but in one aircraft, the navigator made something of a mistake. Just a small, inaccurate reading of his map, perhaps, and they began to deviate from their desired track. As the error grew, the B-17 moved further and further away from their destination until they were some 45 miles in error. The target that they were looking for consisted of a small square lit by four lights, one on each corner. On cue, the bombardier looked down through the glazed nose of the fortress and saw the lights in the distance and started to line the big aircraft up. He opened up the bomb bay doors and prepared to drop the first bomb. In Boise City, the inhabitants of this rural farming area were early risers, so most of the 1,200 residents had gone to bed, putting their lights out. A few young couples were walking back from the movie theatre, and in the small cafe some local folk were enjoying a last drink with some truck drivers who were shooting the breeze over a late meal. In the centre of the town was the courthouse, in front of which was a small square, lit by a few street lights. It was around midnight when the faint drone of an aircraft was heard, but nobody took much notice until... In the B-17, the target was directly under the bomb aimer's crosshairs. All the calculations for the drop were set, the drift angle, the airspeed, the height and the wind. The Norden M1 bombsite was a miracle of engineering. Funded by the Navy, it consisted of a small telescope mounted on a gyro-stabilising platform that kept the sighting head stable. A sophisticated mechanical computer was used to calculate the aim point, which was fed back to the site, automatically rotating the telescope to correct for drift and aircraft movement. 
The aimer could feed any residual drift he saw up to the pilot to correct his heading, or in later versions, directly to an autopilot. Simply moving the telescope to keep the target in view had the effect of fine-tuning the windage calculations, greatly increasing the sight's accuracy. So secret was the technology behind the sight that the U.S. government refused to allow the site to be purchased and used by the RAF during the war for fear that it would fall into enemy hands. Handing over the Norton bomb site had become as much a political as a technical problem and its relative merits were being publicly debated in Congress, weekly, while the Navy continued to say that the Norden was the United States' most closely guarded secret. However, the entire Norden system had already been passed to the Germans before the war started. The Norden Company had employed a German spy, Hermann W. Lang, who ran a spy ring and who was eventually arrested along with the 32 German agents he used in 1941. At exactly the right moment, the bombardier on the B-17 released his first bomb. That's it. That's it. That's it. Bombs away. The blue-painted M38A2 bomb released cleanly and fell past the open Bombay doors, hitting the cold night air. But it didn't care. As it separated from the racks, a wire pulled the pin from the spotting charge, arming the explosive packed into a canister mounted at the rear of the body. Falling free, the four fins mounted in a box at the rear of the bomb pointed it accurately towards its target. It was already doing a couple of hundred knots at release, but now with gravity pulling it downwards, it accelerated further until it went through the roof of a garage near the town centre, digging a four-foot hole in the floor, followed by a resounding bang and cloud of smoke as the black powder charge went off. For the 1,200 inhabitants of Boise, it was a rude awakening. Completely oblivious to the ruckus that was starting below, the crew of the B-17 turned away from the target to reposition for their next attack. The bomb aimer was disappointed that he hadn't seen the flash of the spotting charge that would allow him to correct a little for the next attack, but he was confident that it had been close to the target. Below him, Forrest Bork was sleeping comfortably in his bed, above the Boise City Post Office. It was his building, so he could sleep upstairs whenever he wanted. By half-past midnight on July the 5th, 1943, most of Bork's neighbours were asleep as well, but someone was awake. A crash and what sounded like an explosion jarred Bork from his peaceful sleep. Was someone trying to crack the post office safe? If so, Bork was determined to catch the crook before he could complete his criminal act. 
He kept the lights out and crept to the front window. There was a small group of men gathered in front on the sidewalk. Fred Krieger was amongst them. He was the band director for the local school and editor of the weekly Boise City News. He had leapt from his bed, thrown on some clothes and run outside to see what on earth was happening. My first thoughts, he recalled, was that it had been an enemy plane. But then he wondered why on earth an enemy would go to the trouble of bombing Boise City. Having completed their first run, the crew in the aircraft above had circled around for another attack. The second bomb began to whistle as it headed earthwards, but even the hand of the Almighty couldn't prevent this bomb from hitting the white-framed Baptist church, exploding beside the building with another loud bang which broke several windows. After seeing how deep the bomb had bored into the pavement, Fred said how glad he was that he hadn't hidden under the paper cutter in his office. What this town needs, he suggested, are some searchlights and anti-aircraft guns. As the attacks continued, Mr. Bellew, the town's night watchman, was near the post office. He threw himself flat on the sidewalk, watched the sky and wished that he'd had his rifle with him as the plane made another pass over the city. Not far away, near the Cimarron County Courthouse, Colleen Jones and four girlfriends had just left the local movie theatre. Their dates were soldiers from the army base at Dalhart, where the rogue aircraft had originated. When a bomb hit the ground, Jones asked a soldier what it was. "'By God, it's a bomb!' he replied in a dreadful American accent, and they ran away as fast as they could. By now, Pastor Dodds had reached his church, and he found the front door of his beloved chapel blown open and some of the rainbow-coloured windows broken. Later, he told a reporter, "'If one-fourth of the people who came to see the hole that bomb made would only attend church...' In the café, the truck drivers realised that their vehicles presented a major danger to the town. They were gasoline fuel tankers.' The drivers sprinted to their trucks, fired them up and were driving hard to get out of the city when the next bomb fell, between the sidewalk and curb in front of the style shop building, just a few feet away from one of the tankers. The bomb had flared up and it was dangerously close to a large underground gas tank, so Forrest Book marched over with several of the men to try and prevent an explosion. The fourth bomb also came close to striking a parked fuel transport truck, ploughing into the ground and blowing up only yards from the McGowan boarding house. The driver of a munitions truck parked on the square quickly dropped everything and rushed from the cafe to move his rig away as well. Still blissfully unaware of the carnage that was occurring below them, for 30 minutes the B-17 crew continued to circle around, throwing their bombs at the innocent folk of Boise City. 
Like everyone else in town, Frank Garrett, the superintendent of the Southwest Public Service Company and the man in charge of the electricity in Boise, had no idea what was happening, so he was hesitant to kill the power. Being the guy in charge of keeping the lights on would make you a little gun-shy. When the power was flowing, you wouldn't hear a peep out of anyone, and you certainly wouldn't get any thanks for a job well done. But if that power went out, even for just a second, you could count on hearing about it everywhere you went in town. Garrett wanted to get a little more information, and if you needed to get the story in Boise City after midnight, it was time to go to the Liberty Café. Five bombs had crashed into the town, and there were people in the streets wearing their nightgowns and pyjamas. The bombs weren't causing the type of explosions they would normally expect, but they were still heavy chunks of metal being hurled at them from the sky at a high rate of knots. Garrett arrived at the Liberty Café and joined the other confused townspeople there. He was still unsure if he should kill the power, but the drone of the B-17 making another run made his mind up for him. Boise City needed to become invisible. Garrett and another utility company employee hopped into a pickup and sped off to the powerhouse. Before they could achieve their mission, a sixth deadly bomb whistled down from the aircraft and buried itself just outside the home of Boise City Attorney E.B. McMahon. At that point, no one had been injured in the bombing, but Garrett needed to kill the power before that plane circled around again and somebody's luck ran out. The pickup truck, carrying the two power company men, skidded to a stop at the Boise City powerhouse, and Frank Garrett made his move. Reaching the building, he fumbled for his keys, and pulling the door open, he ran inside, yanking down hard on the town's master light switch. Almost immediately, the town was covered with a safety blanket of darkness. The only remaining light that could be seen came from the last two bombs as they stuck up from the ground with their explosive charges gently burning. At the town's air raid warning office, John Adkins was on the phone. As soon as he realised what was going on, he had run to the office and grabbed the handset. He dialed the FBI in Oklahoma and, to an incredulous agent, explained what was going on. Message passed, he sent a wire to the Adjutant General. Boise City bombed 1am. Baptist Church, garage hit. As the bombs dropped all around the Sheriff's Apartment inside the courthouse, he began to suspect that the unseen enemy might just be one of those practice bombers who had got lost. Powell made contact with the base at Delhart and told them to radio any planes that they had out on a practice mission and tell them to hold on to those bombs. It was either the blackout or a radio message in response to John Adkins' telegram that finally caused the B-17 crew to realise that all was not well in their world. They hightailed it back to their base at Dalhart. The people of Boise City had every right to be upset, but the general reaction was quite the opposite. 
They had endured much worse hardships during the horrible Dust Bowl years of the 1930s. They also understood that America was at war, and there was a generous spirit of teamwork amongst most citizens as their country fought to win the Second World War. Since there had been no serious damage or injury done to the town, they were willing to quickly forgive. Indeed, the accidental bombing made Boise City famous. It is the only continental American town to be bombed during the Second World War. The estimated property damage to the city was less than $25. A year after the misguided bombing of Boise, the same bomber crew led an 800-plane daylight raid on Berlin and became one of the most decorated of World War II. All of the crew members survived the war and went on to tell stories about their slightly misguided raid on a small Oklahoma town. In fact, one crew member even went on to marry a Boise City girl. For the 50th anniversary of the incident, the town erected a monument to the event, and the crew members of the bomber were invited back to Boise City. But sadly, they all declined. Yeah. Hey, that plane tail was the bomb. <laughs> I bombed. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> another way to go. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a nightmare because there's another one that'll bomb next week. <laughs> no, a bomb. See, that, that's a good thing. It was the bomb. Oh, is it? Oh. It was the bomb, dude. No, I'm not doing uh, very well. I, I, you know, I tell you what, you guys, the bomb, you guys, yeah. the funniest aviation stories <clears throat> in the world all come from the States. I don't know what it is about you guys, but you just seem to generate them. It's in your nature. It's how we roll. Yeah. Absolutely. We can't take ourselves too seriously. I mean, if it's not wrong way, Ferguson, uh, it's, you know, it's, 30 minutes bombing, <laughs> raining bombs down. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're enjoying the uh, American folklore. You snorted. No, no, I, no. Did. I did. I'm you did snort. glad you can have some amusement at our expense. <laughs> well, it's a long time ago now, but I, I love the story. I love the, the stories of the inhabitants, uh, you know, rushing around. <laughs> very good. I love that. And thank you very much uh, to uh, Sylvia. Uh, for uh, suggesting that. Thanks, brilliant. All right. guess we need to start doing some plain tales about funny things happening in the UK. Oh, I've got yeah, we'll have to Come look on. up those stories. Yeah, I'm sure there are none. It's a stiff upper lip that prevents that, actually. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it makes a very straight mustache. Yeah, it sure does. So, is it really true that we have about a half an hour left? Not Liz? even. It's yeah. <laughs> Twenty minutes. What did you guys talk about in the intro? Well, we oh, talked a lot about crap. you. I wouldn't listen no. to it if I were you. No, I, I won't. <laughs> uh, I don't know what. I, I don't know where the time went. I don't know where the time went. Because uh, we're only on number three in the feedback. Mm. Oh lord, we're going to have to get a grip of this. Where's Where's our producer? I don't know. We need a feedback. HR. Station. HR. Oh. Yeah, that's what we need. HR. HR. Stuff. Oh, right. Sorry. Um, well, we're going to have. You have to yeah. talk very fast, Jeff. Okay, quickly. Richard, number three, regarding the feedback in the previous show that mentioned key rings made of old aircraft back in 2013, I flew to Barbados or Barbados or whatever you call it, Nick, on an uh, beautiful 
on a beautiful Virgin Atlantic B747. It was GV Fab Golf Victor Fox Alpha Bravo Lady Penel Lady Penelope. Recently, a friend who works for them brought brought me bought me a little present. Either could work there. I didn't even know the plane had been retired, let alone scrapped. And now I have a piece of her. <laughs> Thanks for the show, Richard Nash. Then he had a he included a picture, very similar to the key ring. I think that Nick um, is in possession. I'm sure, it's the same same company or certainly the same idea. Uh, yeah. Fab was a lovely airplane. They did a great big um, uh, flying lady on the front. I mean, a huge one with a a cape trailing down the aircraft. It, hmm. it looked brilliant. So, uh, and nice. Lady Penelope and Fab, all to do with Thunderbirds are goal. Oh, very cool. Yeah, Thunderbirds, that's what it's all about. Very nice. I love that show. Mm. Okay. Uh, number four, Dave. Uh, let's see. It's some quick audio feedback. Let's hear it. Hi, APG crew. This is Dave from Greensboro, longtime listener, even longer aviation buff. Tell my age, I used to mimeograph letters, send them to all the major airlines to get timetables and pictures of all their airplanes. That said, I was thinking about countries of origin for specific airliners. Embraer in Brazil, Bombardier in Canada, various U.S. manufacturers, Fokker in Netherlands, um, BAC in the U.K., the various other European manufacturers. With all that said, are there unique instruments or configurations that are specialized to the country of origin of a particular commercial airliner where you could walk into a cockpit and say, yep, that is French or yes, that is German or whatever the case may be. I get some of the technology is old, certainly Airbus is using 1970s Japanese Atari joystick technology. And Boeing is probably even more current than that. But anyway, uh, that said, are there pieces that are specialized to these particular countries besides Portuguese or specific language that may be written on a dial? Thanks. Um, you guys have a great show. I look forward to listening to this every morning at five in the morning when I'm out walking the dogs for three to four miles. Take care. Dave, 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 don't stir or disturb the hornet's nest. No, no, please do send more. That was, like that. Absolutely. Hey, what about a uh, what about Russian aircraft? Do they have any unique properties? Does anyone know? Like, yeah, yeah. Cyrillic. <laughs> Something about their uh, artificial horizon is yeah. like yeah. Uh, the old ones they have a uh, a um, fixed horizon and a moving airplane symbol, mm. which is the the wrong way around for us. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, all I was going to say, uh, there was nothing on the clock but the maker's name, and that was in Chinese. But uh, there was nothing on the clock but the maker's name, and that was in Chinese. <laughs> all right. Does that sound better? <laughs> okay, take three. I don't know. Maybe, we're, maybe we'll get it the third time around. Hey, there was nothing on the clock but the maker's name. Uh, that was in Chinese. <laughs> that helped? Yeah, that's no. good. Good, That's good. good yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. American, stupid American airplanes measure everything in pounds. I mean, pounds? Oh, give me a Where did we get you that? You measure your stuff in stone? Wait, yeah, it, but we grew up. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. to stone. Mm -hmm. To stone. No one knows yeah. what that means. We're all getting stoned. No, we don't measure airplanes. How many, in how many hands high is that tail? <laughs> <laughs> 
How many cocktails? You can't you can't pass along your bad uh, habits oh, to that? us and then not take responsibility <laughs> exactly. for it. Exactly. Although to be fair, the first airplane I had that measured its hydraulic pressure in bars had me very confused. I was we used to three thousand psi, and all of a sudden it's three bars, and I'm going, "What? What the hell is this?" Yeah, I, don't know. I have no idea what a bar. Well, I do know what a bar Middle is. Bars? That well, has nothing to do with. Yeah, that's pressure. very true. Now, Dana will know what a bar is because he might dive uh, and use bars for pressure. Do you, Dana? Yeah. Uh, I do not, actually. I use oh, pounds. Yeah. yeah, well, that's because you're, you're a silly American. American. No, because it's so much you use, you use a yoke mount. A yoke. Uh, oh, you got to be yoking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, let's not go there. We've only got 25 minutes left. I know. No kidding. <laughs> so, in answer to Dave's question. Hey, Nick, oh, did he have a question? One question. <laughs> Don't you guys drive around in miles per hour over in England? Uh, yeah, we do. Okay, so where's the metric system again? Over. Uh, it's done. in Europe. It. Done. done. It's in Europe. We're not in yeah, Europe. Okay, yeah. oh, all right. We're trying oh, to get out. So what's the uh, answer to the question there, uh, Steph? <laughs> Russians. Okay, there you go. That's our answer. <laughs> Dave, thanks for the question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that there's anything particularly... Uh, you know, with the exception of the modern Airbus cockpit, obviously, because of the side stick controllers and the, uh, it has a distinctive looking uh, instrument panel um, that you can pick up on pretty quickly. And uh, the- I, I will I will say this. When I went over to John's house and looked at his DC-7 flight deck that he has in the basement, uh, it was pretty apparent that it came out of a, a DC product. So... There's uh, certainly through the DC product, the DC-9, the uh, DC, I don't know about DC-4, but DC-7 for sure, DC-8, DC-9, MD-88, MD-90, MD-82, MD-80, and even the 717, which is now a, uh, by the way, it was an MD-95, mm-hmm. uh, you can still tell that it is a, a McDonnell Douglas product. You know, another way you can tell it was a, either a Douglas or a McDonnell Douglas product, those little black balls like the... On the end of our, uh, excuse me, is it well, Yes, uh, plastic or whatever they're made from uh, on the uh, on the Bake window handle. Bakelite. Bake yes, thank you. Um, they are all over the McDonnell Douglas and Douglas uh, Corporation yes. products. So I think you know stylistically, there's differences amongst all aircraft manufacturers, but in terms of the information that you're going to find provided in the cockpit setup, mm-hmm. basically instrument panels whatnot i like pc comics okay similar all right thanks dave sorry dave yeah sorry (laughs) um brett fry uh he says uh delta apologizes for creepy diet coke napkins and is removing them all from uh excuse me You've got to look at the video. Please go watch the video if you're just listening to awesome. the audio. Fast yeah. forward to whatever moment this is. And as I said, I don't. Maybe it's because I'm a creeper, but I don't think they're that you creepy. I happen to look down, and, and Dana knows this. Uh, like on our airplane, just forward of the steering tiller is usually the place that they put a pack of cocktail napkins. You know, as an emergency source of whatever you what, need just to for for acne, 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 only for acne. no they don't steal them we use them because they're for, provisioned yep. on our airplane we don't take them with uh oh. <laughs> what are you i want to know what you're doing with cocktail napkins so, on the flight deck because we have cocktails of course 
Of uh, course. But no. Uh, we actually, have to blow our nose from all the crap in the air. Actually, apparently Acme uh, got some of these too. And <laughs> and we uh, and apparently got rid of them because they thought they were creepy. And I just so happened to be looking down on my last trip and I went, oh. <laughs> save one or two for me okay Interesting. i got a whole pack I, uh, can i just say on my uh my return flight from salt lake city um at some point i don't know what was going on the two rows in front of me it was like musical chairs like people getting up moving around i was like you're on an a320 where are you going like even the lab's not that far away but it was like people moving around changing seats and it was suggested that perhaps it was because of those napkins oh, they were they were all exchanging be. information and getting to know one another a little speed dating i'm just not really sure exactly what it says name and then number and i'm not sure if you put you're supposed to put your seat number or you're supposed to put your telephone that's number. a hashtag yeah. well, okay hashtag. you're supposed to make a witty you know, social media comment oh, really no no okay no, of course not i, I think <laughs> it was a pretty poor attempt at uh, everybody's so busy with social media and on their phones it was a pretty poor attempt at uh, trying to get people to interact with each other because people don't do I that. I like people interacting with each other. I do too. I think it was a good a good try. I don't anyway. want to talk to anyone. Well, well, I'm bug. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Steph. I know. All right. Uh thanks, Brett. Again. Maybe Brett feels like they're creepy, but I I, I just really don't think they are. But anyway. But it depends where you stick I'm just a creepy guy. Anyway, uh item number six. Robert from Marietta. Mayretta. He says, if you can deal with the ads, here are some nice photos of the new A220. And then he sends us a link, a very long link that we'll include in the show notes. But anyway, he says, what are you all hearing? I sat next to a very nice enlisted gentleman stationed at a North Dakota Air Force base who was excited to talk shop the other evening. We hit some turbulence flying over some weather around Kentucky, as expected. And I pulled up the weather map, which prompted our chat. Seemed he does dispatch for the Air Force and at times gets some unreasonable flight plan requests from some pilots. Even though he was on leave, he was getting texts from someone I assume less experienced. Um, from some I assume less experienced dispatchers trying to figure out how to get a flight plan to go into the FAA computer. <laughs> well, that's kind of basic, isn't it? Huh. Anyway, Very basic. Um, Back to the eight. Well, I don't know how to do it, but I would assume that a yeah basic dispatcher should know how to do this. Is the United States Air Force? Give them a break. Well, that there you go. You can do it on Air Force. Yeah. Um. Anyway, back to the A220. He was happy to know that the lavatory on the plane has a window, which just made me wonder: How is this going to work during taxi and ground operations? Catch up with you all soon, Robert. So. Nobody Even the, should the, be in the. In the well, you close the window. Yeah, if I'm looking at the window. window like you would in your house or look any at the other picture. The picture has a window. The picture has the win- a picture of the um, bathroom, the lavatory with the window, and it has a, like one of those a shades. You can just pull down the shade. Mm-hmm. Actually, I want to say you were talking about the A380 earlier. I flew on um, an Emirates A380 that I believe had a window in the lab mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. which was a great feature in flight. Well, it turns out that, you know, a lot of people are, are, are you know, like sunlight's am- way to go for amazed about this. But what so when they make these fuselages and they design these airplanes, the windows there, whether your lavatory has a window or not, and, and the airline can decide whether or not to have that thing plugged mm-hmm. or to have it open because it's part of the design of the airplane, the structural 
aspect of the airplane. How much no cheerier in, no, it is. No pun intended. With some natural the lavatory light. plugged. Just no pun intended. <laughs> anyway. Big silence. <sighs> okay. <laughs> you didn't like that? Okay. I'll shut up. Um, um, he's here all week, folks. All right. Um, yeah. Anything else to add on this one? It's a great airplane. I actually got to walk through it. Pretty easy answer. Just lower the shade. Pull up your pants or lower the shade. Don't use the toilet if you're taxiing. Yeah. Probably not a good idea. Mm. Aim might not be so good. Uh, Let's see. This is going to be kind of a long. How much time do we have now? About 20? No, like 15, maybe. Uh, I'm going to have to start picking through here. Mm. Oh, Deanna. Yes. The vet from North Carolina writes. Hello, everyone. I submitted some feedback last summer about taking a discovery flight, and since then, I've been mulling over starting PPL training. Yesterday, I took my first official lesson in a Cessna 172, and I plan to keep going to see if it's really for me. I had a lot of fun and learned a lot, but I found flying definitely was not intuitive to me. I don't know if some people are natural pilots or not, but I guess I'm not. The instructor didn't run screaming from the plane at the end of the session, so I guess it w- I wasn't the worst student in the world either. What APG crews? What were APG crews' first flights like? Did any of you take to it like a bird, or was there a huge learning curve? Thank you for reading my feedback, and thank you for the show, Deanna. Well, thank you, Deanna. Um, it's our pleasure, actually. And I can tell you that. The first time that I was in an airplane where I was at the controls and expected to be controlling the airplane, not just one of those flights where you go, oh, okay, here's the, you have the airplane, you know, and bank it and turn it and do a lot kind of stuff. But the first one where you were kind of expected to, you know, improve and, and know what you're doing. And I think the hardest, I, I, I do remember holding onto that yoke and, uh, and the instructor saying something like, look, look at your fingers, Jeff. And it looked, like white <laughs> they're, knuckle they're on the white <laughs> yeah, because white I was knuckles. gripping that thing as hard as I could. And he goes, relax, you don't need to, you don't need to grip that thing so tightly. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I think all of us, there's a curve, I think for all of us, some of us, maybe uh, my, my first flight wasn't too terribly long ago. Um, mm-hmm. well, tell actually, us about it, young lady, take it back maybe 11 years ago. Cause it was quite a while. Well, it was about a year before I actually started doing flight training. Cause I had a intro flight and then kind of another pseudo intro flight and then really started. Um, I remember um, my flight instructor who happened to be a good personal friend of mine as well, was happy to just let me to try, try to do as much as I possibly could. Um, knowing full well that I had no idea what I was doing, uh, but he was a very good instructor. Um, Turns out I was not very coordinated with my feet at the beginning, and I had a very hard time taxiing in any sort of a straight line or even keeping the airplane going in a straight line down the runway, um, which I don't know how he wasn't terrified at my attempts to to do that. Um, in the air, didn't seem to be as much of a problem, but looking back now, I, I'm certain I had no idea what I was actually doing. It was like basically, uh, I don't know if I was holding any sort of heading or altitude. It, where we were flying, it didn't really matter too much because there wasn't a lot going on. It, it felt like you were doing the right thing. Yeah, it seemed like I was doing the right thing. I have no idea. And then he goes, um, do you want to land the plane? I'm like, no. 
are you out of your mind? <laughs> Do you want to live? Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so it was probably, you know, it was probably 45 minutes of just kind of flying around the local area. And it was, it was great. It was amazing. I just remember it being the most fun I'd had in a long time. And then I was going to have to learn how to do it. Your instructor didn't go running away when you got on the ground. No, he was right? like, when are we going again? I was like, oh, very okay. good. Yeah. Well, I think he uh, was in it to make money off of me. Well, yeah, that's part of it, I guess. <laughs> he was a good friend who also was a good salesperson. Uh, hey, Dana, how about you? Does anybody have a really good golf swing? Mm, I'm I don't. good at top golf because right. it but doesn't matter where. All that. I, don't, I don't know Palmer does. Yeah, well, but. <laughs> Right. So most people are not 100% naturals at flying airplanes, and it's just not a natural thing to do. Uh, there are some people that have better aptitudes, per se, at flying, just like there are better. There's some people out there that are really good drivers on the road, and there's some people, well, not some, most people are just idiots on the road. So um, <laughs> I will agree just, with Dana wholeheartedly on yeah, that. So, you know, there, there's a lot of learned skills with it as an instructor myself. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of things in the years. Um, you know, <clears throat> we all have a learning curve, every one of us. And some people need more golf lessons. Some people less, need less golf lessons. But in the end, if you want to be a good golfer, you all need golf lessons. And even people who are professionals get coaching Golf still lessons. that's exactly <laughs> correct but i guess you could say like in sports there are some people that are just naturally you know like they'll you know can shoot a tom Brady. shoot a basket you know from you know the, whatever you know what i mean um well and, and, there and, are some some of that is at work i'm sure and you um, know there there is a lot of nat, there are a lot of natural people nat, naturally talented people but even in sports and you take you know now we can probably argue that the, and I'm not going to go turn into a sports show, but you know, of course I'm a fan of Tom Brady who is now who? undoubtedly probably the best quarterback that has ever lived. But even being that he, he's got proper nutrition. He's got proper uh, training, proper um, uh, instructing, proper practicing, even the best and the, of the best always has to practice. And always mm -hmm. has to improve upon oh, yeah. the skills that they have. So, you know, maybe the base skill is really good. But, you know, when you go in the seventh, sixth to seventh round in the draft pick, uh, you, you don't have the best skill. And then you become the best. So it's a lot of practice, 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 and a lot of coaching. And, it, 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 you know, some people need more coaching. Some people need less coaching. Some people more, need more practice. Some people need less practice. And there's some people just shouldn't even be on the football field. Okay. That's the majority of us, but that's, that's the way life is seriously. So yeah. you may not be a natural, but seriously, it, you know, if, if it's something that you love and have true passion for with, with practicing and, and, and coaching, usually you can succeed. I do enjoy walking around with no clothes on. Uh, so all natural. Oh, wait, that's something. <laughs> what? Um, oh, natural. Okay. Got it. Um, so Nick has been suspiciously silent here so obviously he's the one on the panel that's just unnatural no by by no means uh but <laughs> i do <laughs> i uh i think we all have a learning curve because you can't do this on your own you've got to be taught and shown uh but you know some of us uh, are blessed with a steep learning curve so we pick things up quickly and we don't need to continually have them repeated and some people have a flatter learning curve and some people have a learning curve that doesn't 
even start to move. Now, those people are probably not blessed with the best piloting skills in the world. But everyone eventually, if you throw enough money at it, can probably be taught to fly to one standard or another. So it's good fun. Give it a go. Just just keep plugging. Stay with it. I think there's a certain point at which you kind of go, oh, I get it. Um, You know, and then all of a sudden you're thinking, why did I have an issue with this before? Now I'm, it's like makes complete sense. And I think Deanna's got the right um, attitude towards it. You know, take a couple more lessons to see if it's definitely Mm -hmm. for you. Because like Jeff said, you will reach that point. And I think for most people, it does happen rather quickly where you go, oh, you know, even if I'm not the most natural in the world at doing this, I can certainly learn how to do this. And it's just going to take the right amount of time invested in it, learning it, asking the right questions. Good instruction. But truth be told, there's some people that no matter how much money in instruction or uh, training or anything else that you get, I mean, you know, you're not going to take a concert pianist to make them into a professional and soccer player. It's just, you know, there's some people that just have natural aptitudes towards certain things. Yeah. I think um, enthusiasm for what you're doing goes a long way, though. So if it's something you're interested in and something you really are invested in wanting to learn how to do, you can take that energy for the subject better and convert it into aptitude. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Dana. You, you, when you were mentioning, like, there are just some people, no matter how much money you throw at it, they just can't get it. It reminds me of my roommate in Air Force pilot training. He, um, he, he, uh, I think he self initiated, they call it SIE. Uh, but if he hadn't, he was, there was no way he was going to make it through because he couldn't grasp the concept of when you bank the airplane. And you have to like roll out and, and get, so like to leave. Now this is, does not apply to the Airbus because it's like a whole different thing. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, but, actually, Nick, it doesn't. I know exactly what Jeff's going with. In this. a conventional airplane, you bank the airplane and then you stop it and you, and then you leave it set at that bank and the airplane will continue to turn. Well, he, he just kept on turning, uh, you know, like holding the stick uh, in, in position thinking that he had to hold it deflected. To continue to make the airplane turn. Well, I guess in the way it does sort of apply to the Airbus too. I mean, if you yeah. keep how many degrees putting, of bank were your turns? Well, um, anywhere from thirty degrees to sixty to ninety, depending on what kind of maneuver you were doing. But and basically, turn? he would he he would <laughs> just keep on basically turned into aileron rolls. <laughs> okay, so it was like no, no, you can't. You have to like stop the bank. You got to turn it, let it bank, and then stop it at that bank angle. And then, you know, leave it there. And then when you want to stop the turn, then you roll it back to wings level. And he just could not grasp that. And no matter how hard they tried, the light bulb never went off on his head, in his, you know, over his head. And he finally was like, okay, maybe this is not for me. But yeah. And it's a, there, those are fewer, far, few and far between. Yeah. There's a certain level of aptitude that you have to have. And, uh, uh, you know, if you have a technical mind or a mechanical mind, uh, or an analytical mind in in most cases you can be a very good pilot if you have a uh an artsy fartsy mind probably not a good pilot well technical I don't term know. for yeah. artistic I, folks interestingly i've seen some people that are kind of artsy fartsy kind of tuned i think jeff's kind of artsy do like, well not really music, not like he's more fartsy 
<laughs> Definitely more farts. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about like you know, musical uh, inclinations and aptitude. yeah. I mean, you know, there there are definitely definitely different aptitudes. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, even myself. I mean, Jeff, you've been flying this airplane forever. I've been flying the airplane for you know t- coming on twelve years now, and you know, I, I I hadn't flown when I was on reserve for three months after just checking out, and I have you know six thousand plus hours on the airplane. And I came out and flying the airplane as a captain. I felt like I was all, uh, I can't use that term, uh, something, holes, and elbows. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, when I was flying, because you know, the airplane was kicking my butt. So even somebody has been, you know, very familiar with the airplane and has been flying it forever and very familiar with how the operation is, you know, even, even our, us experienced people, if we're not out there practicing and flying the airplane on a regular basis, we can even become very rusty. So, you know, it it it's uh, you know it <clears throat> it's it's all in how you approach it and how much practice you get because you know for myself personally when I started flying I would start and stop and start and stop and start and stop because of you know financial issues and when I when I was doing that it actually cost me a lot more more money took me a lot longer because every skill that I learned um, I lost had to relearn it. I had yeah. to relearn it so you know that's that's a big key and when you make a commitment go for your PPL. Um, or private pilot license here in the U.S. Um, you need to commit to it, and if you do, then you know you you know more people, most people, not even more, but most people have the ability to complete the course and, and learn the skills. Very good. Okay, I think that we answered Deanna's question quite well. Deanna, keep on going, and we look forward to hearing. More reports of your progress in the future. And with that, I don't think we have much time left. One more. One more? Okay. One more. Well, did you see this one that John sent in? Um, a house in Malibu, which is actually quite beautiful. I don't know if oh, you all can see that. Speaking of artsy, artsy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. What'd you say? Wait, did you say Malibu? I'm going to be in Malibu very shortly. Wow, that's cool. Um, you gonna be at this house? I'm gonna go visit it now. Yeah. Well, this is a um, this is from John. Uh, he says he's John from Joplin, Missouri. So I guess I could be called Joplin John. Been listening to your show since the Catholic Pilot days, episode thirty-ish. I've yet to make it to a meetup, but I'm still hopeful that that will happen one day. Currently scheduled to take my single-engine commercial exam on February twenty-sixth. Ooh, next, next a week, week from today. Yeah. Wow. The only thing that concerns me is the oral exam part. Any advice in advance of that would be greatly appreciated. Hopefully, by the time you read this on the show, I will have that completed. Nope. We got to it before you took your check ride. Um, we don't have any advice, though. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, right. uh, So what would you say, Steph? What's your advice? Um, I mean, it's no different than, than any check ride. Just... Um, I'm trying to think what my commercial, my commercial uh, oral exam, um, I thought was actually one of the best ones that I did. It was very, it was done um, almost in the style of how we did our oral board examinations for medicine, where it was, everything was kind of presented as one big case scenario. So we just kind of logically went through a whole bunch of stuff related to a hypothetical flight. And it somehow went through all of the different concepts for the commercial 
uh, exam, which I thought was a really neat way to put together a, an oral exam. It wasn't just like disconnected questions here and there. So um, I don't know if that yeah. constitutes advice of any sort, but that's Carl, that's Carl, 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 it's not an oral exam like you get at the dentist. It's something completely. So different. we shouldn't tell them to brush and floss twice. Well, a day. that might still be helpful. I think it would. Yes. Yeah. Don't don't know the, that. <laughs> the best advice that was ever given to me was by an FAA examiner. Okay. Lou Owen is by an ex. Here's the advice from Dana: <laughs> buy an FAA examiner. Bribe one. Buy. Buy. Well, same difference. Yeah, it's my accent. Sorry. B u y. B u y. Buy oh, my. B-Y. Oh, okay. Lou I got you, Owen, got you. Which okay, is this that the wrong way? I'm sorry. Super nice, methodical examiner told me the best thing you can do the night before an exam is sit down, have a nice dinner, have a nice couple of drinks, and relax. Because if you don't know it by now, you don't know it. And one other piece of advice I can give you, John, is don't try to show the examiner everything you know. Only answer the questions that are asked of you. And if you go ahead and, and approach it that way and answer in a competent manner, you're not going to have any problem whatsoever on your exam. Just yes and no. That's it. Yes and no. Or if <laughs> don't, don't, don't try to prove how much, don't yes. try to prove how much you do know. Yeah. Don't do that. I, oh I yeah. You can always get yourself in trouble for yeah. that. Cause as soon, the question, as, they can, let them move yeah. On. as soon as they kind of see a little crack in the armor, they go, Oh, okay. Let's go into a little bit more detail there. Yeah. Don't volunteer more information than exactly. you need to. Yeah. That's, that's good advice. I think for any kind of an oral exam. Um, anyway, he continues. I, uh, we're over the three hour mark now. I, I just got a text from Liz. that says ding, ding, ding. <laughs> anyway, I was wasting time on the internet and came to this link for an extreme home design. I believe for one time in the history of APG, we can have the Boeing and the Airbus lovers agree on the same concept. The Boeing guys would say, what an incredible way to make a house. And the Airbus guys would be glad that another Boeing is out of production. So both Captain Rick, Captain Nick can agree for once. John hasn't been listening to the show for a while. Captain Rick's not here anymore. Anyway, um, although maybe he is in spirit. Uh, he sends us a link to a site that shows this beautiful house. And apparently somebody that had a lot of money wanted to have a very um artsy artistic artsy fartsy uh, <laughs> roof. yeah i like it and uh they decided that the thing that met the and made the most economic sense as well i believe if you read the entire article it's pretty cool uh they found this old retired about to be dismantled 747 and uh they used the well actually more than just the main wing but uh, a lot of different parts from the airplane as architectural um, features of this house but the most beautiful thing is the wing and even an airbus guy like nick could probably agree that it's it's a beautiful oh beautiful it, look, home. it looks great i just don't hope they don't have any strong winds <laughs> yeah blow the house away <laughs> <laughs> what happened to that house that was up on the hill i don't know Generated right. a lot of lift <laughs> yeah the the owner took off <laughs> bam wow all right why does, that that? Fence, why does that fence look like it connects what's that? I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> the what? The fence, the fence looks, the like fence looks like it connects like fork. You ever hear play that game, Jeff? You probably don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, if if you're listening, look at the pictures of this in the show note because A, the house is cool and B, you'll want to play Connect Four afterwards. Exactly. Oh, Connect Four. Okay. Connect. Now that you're saying it, I, I couldn't understand what he was saying. I'm sorry. <laughs> Am I mumbling really? or is it my Boston accent? It must again? be your accent or something. Connect Four. I really. Okay. Well, got it. Four. Now that four. Steph has said it, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> it's okay. I'll provide dra- uh, data <laughs> translation. Some translation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, with that, um, you'll be thankful that this is the end of our program yeah. today. Um, and uh, we have several items still in the folder that we didn't get to. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and there's. And there's some really good ones and that I'm really kind of sorry we didn't get a chance to play or read on today's show. But you know what that means. We'll be doing it on the next show, hopefully. And if you want to uh, find out more information about the crew and the community, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com. And we have uh, apps for your phones, whether they be iOS or Android. We're um, phone system operating system agnostic here. And uh, let's see, we're also on social media. Dr. We Steph? are. Yes, you can head over to twitter.com. Check out our handle at APG Crew. Uh, all uh, of us have our individual Twitter information pinned to the top of the page if you'd like to interact with us individually in 280 characters or less. You can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy if you're a bit more long winded, don't want to be constrained by uh, Twitter character limits. And Whichever way you go, lots of good community interaction going on there, things being shared, information being discussed, and we hope to see you there. Yes, we do. And we're also on Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and Plain Tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at Slack at airlinepilotguy.com that's s-l-a-c-k sierra lima alpha charlie kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at hillel and i'll send you an invitation that's hillel spelled h-i-1-1-e-1 hotel india one one echo one and see you in slack and don't forget that the plain tales are available as a separate podcast which you can find on iTunes. You you can subscribe to it and you can give it a review to make it a little bit more, uh, stand out a little bit more and amongst all the aviation podcasts out there. And if you have an idea, suggestion for a future plane tale, please send it to our special address, plane tales at airlinepilotguide.com. And you can spell it P-L-A-N-E-T-A-L-E-S or you can spell it P-L-A-N-E-T-A-I-L. Yes. Either way, it'll get to the right person. And also a big shout out to our producer, Liz Piper in Toronto. Yay. Thank you very much for all the hard work you do. Yes. And look forward to seeing her in person uh, next next week on the next show. She'll be uh, one of the co-hosts. She'll have to sit in my place, I think. Yes. She's practicing already. And until next time, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. So long, everybody. Good day.